Audio Jungle. Hospitalizations nearing record numbers and news on an Omicron targeting vaccine. One in four hospitals reporting critical staffing shortages as average cases near 700,000 a day. Child cases exploding more than half a million in just the first week of January. And news on Pfizer's Omicron specific vaccine and when insurance will start covering at home tests. Also tonight, the U.S. and Russia holding high-stakes talks as Russian troops amass on Ukraine's border. Our Richard Angle inside Ukraine with soldiers bracing for war. And my interview with President Biden's national security advisor, what will the U.S. do if Russia invades Ukraine? The investigation into New York's deadliest fire in decades. The death toll now 17, including eight children. What started it and how an open door added to the tragedy. Convicted murderer Robert Durst dying in a prison hospital. The Arctic blast of cold and up to two feet of snow. Al Roker is here. The amazing medical breakthrough, the first successful pig-to-human heart transplant. And dramatic body cam. Officers pulling a pilot out of a crashed plane seconds before it's hit by a train. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening. The numbers remain staggering tonight, stretching our patience and our capacity to fix all that COVID has broken. From the millions forced to isolate at home to the emergency rooms and ICUs desperately short on staff, but filled with the sick, including the very young. We've learned that over the last week, more than 580,000 child COVID cases were recorded, tripling the number of cases two weeks prior. The weekly average number of new COVID cases overall is close to 700,000. The good news is the number of deaths has been stable, but the strain and stress on our hospital system remains critical as more breakthrough infections happen, with timely testing remaining a problem. Also tonight, we have an update on an Omicron-fighting vaccine that's in the works. But first, Miguel Almaguer with late details. Tonight, a new vaccine that specifically targets Omicron may be just months away. But as new COVID cases explode, our nation is likely just weeks from reaching Omicron's devastating peak. With nearly every state now a hot spot, the U.S. is closing in on 700,000 new cases a day, nearly triple last year's surge. Pfizer's new vaccine would target Omicron and other variants already circulating. This vaccine will be ready in uh, March. Uh, I don't know if we will need it. I don't know if and how it will be used. 
but we'll be ready. In recent weeks, infections have exploded off the chart, some five and a half million cases just this month. While most infections are mild and don't require hospitalization, in areas first hard hit by Omicron, there's now a dramatic spike in COVID-related fatalities. There has been more deaths that I've seen the whole time in just one week that I normally see in a month, um, let alone in a day. First detected in the U.S. six weeks ago, Omicron is decimating the workforce and quickly spreading among children. In two weeks, cases nearly tripling, with well over half a million kids infected in the first week of January. It comes amid a serious shortage of hospital staff. We have hundreds of doctors and nurses now that have COVID and are isolating because of that. There are many hospitals in the country that are simply on their knees. They are overwhelmed. As the CDC sets the stage for a fourth shot for the immunocompromised, demand for testing remains high, lines snaking for miles through some residential neighborhoods. Los Angeles County just shattered a pandemic record. 45,000 new cases in a single day. Many of the sick are vaccinated, even boosted. You get vaccinated, you get boosted so that you don't end up in the hospital, you don't end up in a ventilator, and you don't die from COVID. Miguel, if I can circle back down to this testing issue. Tonight, the White House says Americans with insurance won't need to pay for at-home testing kits. What else have we learned? Well, that's right, Les. We're hoping to expand testing. The White House says Americans with private health care insurance won't need to pay for those over-the-counter at-home COVID test kits. Consumers will instead be able to have their health care plan cover the cost up front or be reimbursed. That policy goes into effect in five days. Lester. Miguel Almaguer, thank you. As Ukrainian troops dig defensive positions tonight in anticipation of a possible Russian invasion, U.S. officials are digging in, too, holding the first of several high-stakes talks with their Russian counterparts in an urgent mission to avert open conflict. In a moment, some of my interview with the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, but first to the front lines where we start with Richard Engel. You can see how confident Ukrainians are in diplomacy with Russia with every scrape and swing of their shovels. Today, troops are digging new defensive trenches in the frozen ground close to Russian forces. Ukrainian troops are preparing for the worst because they worry that Russia is not negotiating in good faith and is just going through the motions of diplomacy so it can say it gave peace a chance and then invade anyway. In Geneva today, senior American and Russian diplomats met for nearly eight hours. No breakthroughs. Though Russia's lead diplomat today insisted it has no plans to invade, he added a warning. After every mistake, every miscalculation with respect to what should be done in Euro-Atlantics, uh, security of countries to the west of Russia uh, suffers. 
Russia has more than 100,000 troops positioned near Ukraine's borders. It is demanding Ukraine never be allowed to join NATO and that NATO shrink back to what it was in 1997, dismantling much of the alliance's presence across Eastern Europe and the Baltics. U.S. officials say it's such an unrealistic demand, they worry Vladimir Putin is building a case for the talks to fail, creating a pretext to invade Ukraine. At the front, soldiers told us they'll stand their ground as long as they can. Oleski says we all want to return to our families, but this is our land and we'll defend it. Troops here told us they hope Putin is bluffing, but they're not counting on diplomacy, suspecting it may be just a trick. The only good news out of today's deadlock is that the U.S., Russia, and NATO have all agreed to keep talking with more negotiations later this week. Lester. Richard Engel, thank you. And for more on how the U.S. is viewing this tense standoff, I spoke late today with Jake Sullivan, President Biden's national security advisor. Mr. Sullivan, thank you for joining us. Russia's opening message today was essentially, we have no interest in invading Ukraine. Do you believe them? We believe that the Russians have positioned tens of thousands of troops and advanced military equipment on the border with Ukraine and that they have done so with at least the capability, if not the intention, to invade. We believe the threat of invasion is real and we are determined through a combination of deterrence and diplomacy uh, to avert that circumstance, to defend Ukrainian territorial integrity and sovereignty. The U.S. position is that some things are on the table, including limiting the size and scope of military exercises as long as Russia reciprocates. Will that be enough, however? Will the U.S. have to give more concrete concessions or incentives to make this process move toward a peaceful resolution? The United States and our allies have been clear that there is a lot to talk about when it comes to reciprocal interest-based security parameters in Europe. We can talk about uh, missiles and missile placements as we have historically with intermediate nuclear-capable nuclear missiles. We can talk about the size and scope of exercises. We can talk about greater transparency and risk reduction measures to reduce the possibility of unintended conflict. It is ultimately going to be up to the Russians to determine whether they want to engage seriously on a substantive agenda or whether diplomacy is merely a pretext uh, for them to ultimately take military action. What is the tripwire, the White House tripwire, to begin? Uh, these uh, very severe sanctions that have been proposed? If Russia chooses to roll across the Ukrainian frontier and further invade Ukraine beyond the incursions it has already made, the United States will respond. We will respond with our allies. We will respond with severe sanctions. Our thanks to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Here in New York tonight, doctors are trying to save the lives of people critically injured in that devastating apartment fire, one of the deadliest in recent memory. And there are new questions about how the smoke spread. Here's Gabe Gutierrez. 
Tonight, new images of the charred apartment where the deadly fire started. All that's left after the inferno tore through this Bronx high-rise Sunday. This is an unspeakable tragedy. Authorities today lowered the death toll from 19 to 17, including eight children. In the chaos, with dozens of injured rushed to seven hospitals, some of the victims were double counted. Several are still in critical condition. The smoke was so terrible. I had to break out the air conditioner, the window for us to get Tysina Jacobs lived on the 15th floor. I drop on my knees and start to pray to God and ask God, please help us, help us. Authorities say the five-alarm fire was sparked by a space heater, and the door to that unit somehow did not close. The damage inside now seen in the new images published by DailyMail.com. The smoke... Uh, traveled throughout the building. A spokesperson for the building's owner says that all doors in the building are self-closing to help contain smoke, and that apartment was last checked in July. How much smoke was there? Oh my God, you can imagine. A lot of smoke. The building's owner also says the smoke alarms did work, but residents would sometimes smoke in the stairwells, which would set them off. This survivor told us they went off so often, residents ignored them. That happened. It's normally in the building. The Consumer Product Safety Commission estimates that portable heaters are involved in about 1,700 fires per year, resulting in about 80 deaths. This tragedy is not going to define us. It is going to show our resiliency. The fire commissioner says it was the smoke, not the flames, that proved deadly here. And that usually in a fireproof high-rise building, it's safer to stay in your apartment than to try and get down the stairs, Lester. Convicted killer Robert Durst has died. The wealthy New York real estate heir was serving a life sentence after he was convicted in September of murdering his longtime friend Susan Berman. Durst was also suspected of killing his wife, Kathleen, who vanished in 1982, and a neighbor who was shot at Durst's apartment in 2001. Robert Durst was 78. Coming up, the dangerous cold wave gripping much of the country. Al Roker tells us where and for how long. An Arctic blast is bringing the coldest temperatures in years to parts of the country. Al Roker is tracking it. What are you watching, my friend? Well, we are watching this big Arctic blast that's coming down. It is sub-freezing temperatures. The jet stream has dipped down to the south. And so these are the coldest temperatures we've seen in three years in parts of the northeast. And in fact, overnight lows, we are going to be looking at wind chills of two in, in Pittsburgh, minus one in New York City, 10 in D.C., minus nine in Chicago. The good news is this is very short-lived. So by the end of this week, we'll see temperatures moderating a bit. 41 in New York City, 46 in Washington, D.C., 36 in Chicago. We've also got wind chills to talk about and lake effect snow. This is a big band of lake effect snow coming across. It's going to bring some areas another five to eight inches of snow on top of what's already fallen, Lester. We're talking two inches of snow per hour between Watertown and Syracuse. Looks like winter's greatest hits. All right, oh, yeah. Al, thanks very much. We've got an incredible medical breakthrough to tell you about this evening. The first ever pig to human heart transplant. 
Surgeons at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore announcing they placed a heart from a genetically modified pig into a 57-year-old man on Friday. The patient is said to be doing well. And up next, China's extreme measures to control COVID just before the Olympics. As this country struggles to contain the latest COVID explosion, we take a look tonight at the extreme measures China is taking in some cities just over three weeks before the Beijing Olympics. Janice Mackie Freyer is there. Tonight, all 14 million people in Tianjin being tested for the coronavirus. The city in partial lockdown after the first local cases of the Omicron variant were found here. 75,000 people quarantined. The worry that it'll get worse. Because of the transmissibility uh, of it. So yeah, I do think people are alarmed and anxious, all hoping for that negative test result. The cluster in Tianjin is small compared to most cities in the world, but it's only 70 miles from Beijing, which is now on high alert with less than a month before the Winter Olympics. With COVID concerns running high here, Olympics venues in all areas around them have been completely sealed off. It's China's biggest COVID crisis since the first outbreak in Wuhan. In the city of Xi'an, millions have been confined to their homes because of 1,900 cases. They're locked down, relying on food drops and pleading online for help. Some unable to access medical care, including a pregnant woman who had a miscarriage outside a hospital because she didn't have a COVID test to get in. Igniting anger on social media here about the human cost of China's zero tolerance policy. In the coming months, um, it will be crucial, you know, that uh, for China uh, in terms of um, the effectiveness of this strategy. For Beijing's Olympics, thousands of athletes and officials will go directly into a tightly enforced bubble. If they can pull it off, it'll be an amazing Olympics. But with the variant already spreading quickly in other countries, there is a race here to contain it before the games begin. Janice Mackey Freyer, NBC News, Beijing. And up next for us tonight, the heroes of that incredible rescue on the tracks, how they got a pilot out alive. Finally tonight on any day, a plane crash by itself is dramatic enough. But as Gotti Schwartz tells us, that's where this story of heroism begins. In the history of high-stakes rescues, this train versus plane chain of events is a heart pounder. Now, the odds of what you just saw might be too incredible to believe if it wasn't captured by several vantage points. A pilot stuck in a cockpit after crash landing on train tracks, while in the distance, a terrible sound. LAPD's police body cam footage showing the true heroism four seconds before impact. The Metro commuter train obliterating the small plane, sending debris flying. All of a sudden, the bells and whistles and lights started flashing out of this side. No, this can't, this can't be happening. And I looked down 
the tracks and I see this train with three huge white lights coming right at us. Tonight, the pilot is recovering in the hospital. The officers who saved him say to call him lucky is an understatement, especially when you consider how close they were when the plane went down. So this over here, this is your police station. And then we got planes landing over here. This is the intersection where it happened. That's right. This is right where it happened. I think this guy's a very lucky man. Not only was it right by the police station, I think he cheated death twice in about 10 minutes. And I think he should buy a lottery ticket. All of it coming together in those final critical seconds when those officers transformed into the literal hands of fate. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Los Angeles. I want to know his lottery numbers. Amazing. That's nightly news for this Monday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night. Thanks for watching our YouTube channel. Follow today's top stories and breaking news by downloading the NBC News app. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, time for caution on tech or time to go all in? Longtime tech analyst Mark Mahaney tells us which way he thinks the roller coaster is heading. Plus, the U.S. Supreme Court's conservative justices skeptical about President Biden's push to get more people vaccinated, even as Omicron continues to spread. We will have the latest. And how the tech industry's attempt to simplify the process of selling a house ended up creating a secret pipeline for big investors to snatch properties away from middle-class buyers. We'll get to all of that in a moment. But first, the U.S. starting the new year with a disappointing jobs report, adding far fewer than expected. Unemployment did drop below 4%, though, and wages rose slightly, meaning the economy is getting back to normal and the focus now is on inflation. It is a confusing report. I'm not quite sure if it's a complete all clear here. This report suggests that the economy has normalized to a great extent. There's nothing in the report that will change what the Fed signaled. All of the signals are that the labor market is tightening. The job market is normalized to a great extent. We're still moving along around uh, around a full employment dynamic. That should all else equal means that the Fed should normalize its monetary policy. The Fed cannot escape the inflation issue. It's all about inflation, which is really getting the Fed nervous. The presumption is absolutely they hike. They're going to chase this thing and they're going to hike 
uh, pretty aggressively. Three, four rate hikes on the table. The March rate hike is definitely a go. The reaction of our guests on Bloomberg Television throughout the day. Let's see how markets reacted and tech stocks taking another hit. Ed, take it away. Yeah, I mean, the reality is that data did not do anything to change the psychology that rate hikes are coming earlier and they're coming faster from the Federal Reserve. The tech route deepened, the Nasdaq 100, having its worst week actually since February of last year. Real selling pressure for high multiple stretch valuation tech stocks. The mega caps actually did slightly better on the day, down six tenths of one percent on the New York uh, NYSE Fang Plus index. And that selling also extending to semiconductors. Also in crypto as well, the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index down 4%, its lowest level since September. Of course, a big constituent of that is Bitcoin, which we'll talk about later in the show, dropping down below the $41,000 per token level. Come with me as my Bloomberg Terminal. There's two stocks I want to focus in on here. Alphabet, the Google parent, and Microsoft. They both had their worst week since March 2020, Emily. In other words, their worst week since prior to the pandemic really taking hold here in the United States. But you have to remember, these are two stocks that really were outperformers in the context of mega caps in 2021. But as yields have come up and that narrative around the Fed has gained traction, there has been some selling pressure there. One winner of the week, Emily, can you guess? Meme stocks. <laughs> Meme stocks. Any surprise there? This all started around reports on GameStop moving into NFTs and crypto. The stock up 7% Friday. AMC, which has also already disclosed right its ambitions for activity in the crypto space, following suit. The GameStop, uh, the, the meme stock kind of index actually up for the week, so outperforming broader technology space. And the final one I want to point out is the DSPAC index. This is a Bloomberg custom index of the highest profile stocks that went public via a special purpose acquisition company, down 14% on the week. Ouch. All right. Ed, ouch indeed. Thank you. I want to stick with tech investing in the outlook for 2022 with Evercore's Mark Mahaney. His firm out with new research saying now is the time for caution and taking a muted stance on high-growth tech stocks. Mark, back with us now. Mark, good to have you back. So is this the year the tech bubble pops? Well, at least for the high multiple stakes uh, stocks, as Ed was just pointing out, the, here's the quick quip on what we've seen so far year-to-date. Uh, stocks with price-to-sales multiples of 10x have have traded off 10% at least um, you know, year-to-date. I know we only have five trading days in the in the year so far. But yeah, if you have aggressively rising interest rates, and that's the new—that's really the new new thing for tech investors this year. That wasn't the case in either of the last two, three, or four years. You got rising uh, interest rates. Those high multiple stocks are going to be the hardest to 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 be to be long with. That's why we're steering. You know, our top picks are ones that we think there's very reasonable valuation, or there's kind of a reopening catalyst, or there's something really specific in terms of a product catalyst or a, or, a, or a business model catalyst for the stock. You have to be more selective this year than most. Now, we saw rising rates in March and October of last year. Both times, tech stocks sold off, but then picked back up again. Is this just another mini dip, or is this more long-term? Oh, I, I don't know, Emily. That's the, the honest answer. You're asking the right question. We know that uh, we're going to have three or four hikes. We, know, we quote unquote know that we're going to have those hikes. It's just, this is going to be, we are going to have, we haven't had any hikes yet. We are going to have more, we're going to have more hikes therefore than we've had in the last couple of years. And just for high multiple stocks, the reason why it matters is so much of the value in those stocks is kind of in the out years. And so 
If rates rise, you have to discount back those earnings five and 10 years out. You discount them at a higher level, they're worth less. And so that's, uh, that's the challenge if you have a high multiple stock where most of the earnings are in the out years. And usually those are the same things. Uh, the, this, 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 the companies that are generating a lot of earnings this year, right here, right now, they trade a much lower, much more reasonable multiples, whether that's a Microsoft, an Apple, a Google, or a Facebook. You mentioned Microsoft and Google, Microsoft and Alphabet having their worst week since the start of the pandemic, but you've got pri high price targets and outperforms on both. Why? Yeah, well, our top picks here, just to be clear about this, Amazon, Facebook, and, uh, and Uber. So I'll go with Facebook. There's two major fixes, I think, or there are two, there are two problems that I think they can, quote unquote, fix this year. First, one of the big issues on this stock isn't uh, high interest rates. It's uh, IDFA or the Apple privacy uh, changes. If, and I think uh, if Facebook can, can fix that and come up with a, a successor, what we call a son of or a daughter of IDFA, a child of IDFA, a marketing solution that, that marketers can use that's got, that's got attribution that's almost as good as what you had prior to the Apple policy changes, I think you'll see advertising money come back quickly to Facebook. The other one is I think they can address part of this ESG discount that Facebook has faced because of the Facebook files last year. And if they can start addressing some of that, at least some of that gap, some of that discount can be narrowed. So that's one of the reasons why I like Facebook for this year. But what about Microsoft and Google then, given that they've had such a rough week? Yeah, I'll punt on, uh, on Microsoft, uh, but on Google, uh, Google Web, I like as a stock. Fabulous year, lad. Just, I just think there's less upside. I'm trying to find stocks that are more dislocated. I don't find um, uh, Google right now particularly dislocated. I think there's just more upside on names that have had challenges this last year. That's where Amazon, Uber, and Facebook fall in. Google's fine as a long-term stock, just less upside after phenomenal performance last year. And what about Twitter? New leadership, and still the stock just hasn't recovered for years. It hasn't, and I think the major problem here has been lack of successful product innovation at the company. They have, been they have not been able to consistently and successfully ship new product, new features to both consumers and to advertisers, and particularly on the advertiser side. And maybe that'll change under current management, uh, but I think we should all be skeptical until we really see evidence of that. That that's always been the issue, I think, for Twitter, frankly, for the last five years. I don't know why they've had the problems. I assume it's personnel, the, the people running the company, and maybe having a part-time CEO. I don't think that's a bad explanation for why they've had product development problems, but they have, mm. and that's why the stock hasn't worked. All right, looking out then, what does the shape of the COVID recovery look like to you? Oh, I don't know. Hopefully anyway, it is I hope a recovery. It's, <laughs> exactly. Hopefully it's a recovery. All, all I would say is, I, I you know, I'm... My guess is as good as yours on that. I hope there's a recovery. But I will say, if there is a recovery, the name I like most in the coverage group that I have is the company with the most upside, and that's Uber. We still have 40. They're still 40% below pre-COVID levels. So, you know, we all need to be commuting once again back to work, and we need to do these business trips again. And that may not happen fully this year. probably won't, but I, I don't know. But if it does happen... You know, the best recovery name is either travel names or the ride sharing names. It's just that the travel names have already re-rated. They're already trading as if COVID is over, where you don't have that with the ride sharing names. I call it a trough multiple stock on not really trough earnings, but on depressed earnings. So I 
there's the most upside in a name like Uber if COVID, if we really do move beyond uh, COVID this year. Interesting. What about regulatory risks for Uber and for some of these big tech names that we're talking about? I mean, obviously, regulation has been looming for a long time. Does that crescendo this year or not? Uh, well, one thing very specific on uh, uh, Uber. Back in 2020, you'll remember Prop 22 passed here in California. Major positive catalyst for Uber. In the middle of 2021, that was reversed by a federal judge. It was a federal or state judge. That decision comes up for renewal, uh, for review next month. So it's possible that reversal will itself be reversed. So that gets this starting to get starting to get complicated. But anyway, there's the potential here for a positive catalyst because I, my guess is that it's going to be hard not for Prop 22 to become the law of the land, given how overwhelmingly that was voted for. And then in terms of the big tech regulation, I think that's just going to be an overhang. I, that, that's, that's a permanent overhang on these names. And at the very least, you're going to find one of those growth arrows that these companies need, or they've used a lot in the past, large-scale acquisitions, it's just off the table. So at some level, you know, we should have slightly diminished growth outlooks for all of the major tech companies because big, big acquisitions not, no longer going to be allowed. All right, Mark Mahaney, Uber, interesting. We'll be watching in 2022. Mark, always good to have you. Thank you, Evercore ISI. Well, the controversial social media app that helped fuel last year's meme stock frenzy, Reddit, is said to be going public as early as March. Sources say the company is working with Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs on the IPO, which could value Reddit at as much as $15 billion. The company was valued at $10 billion by investors in a funding round last summer. Coming up, the fight over vaccine mandates. Citibank telling employees no vaccine, no job. While the Supreme Court is casting doubt on whether 80 million workers are actually required to take the shot. That's all next. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back. Well, as the pandemic drags on, a hint of optimism from President Biden. I don't think COVID is here to stay, but having COVID in the environment here and in the world is probably here to stay. But COVID, as we're dealing with it now, is not here to stay. The new normal doesn't have to be. We have so many more tools we're developing. So we hope. Comments from the president coming as a new study out of South Africa shows patients infected with the Omicron variant. Less than 5% died during this current wave compared to 20% during other waves. This also showed after just a month, hospital admissions declined and that fewer people were admitted to the ICU. Despite that optimism, though, the virus is still spreading and mandates are still to be implemented including an ongoing fight now at the Supreme Court. Bloomberg San Francisco Bureau Chief Kara Wetzel with us now. Kara, what is the Supreme Court debating and what signals are we getting about which way the justices are leaning? So the Supreme Court is debating an order by the Biden administration and OSHA that would require employers with at least 100 employees to uh, have their workers vaccinated or have them test weekly, either at their own expense or the company's paying for it and having to track that information. So uh, various groups, uh, industry groups and governments have argued against this, saying it's too onerous, and they've taken it to the Supreme Court. 
and which is kind of leading in the direction based on the arguments given today uh, toward indicating that they will uh, strike this down, uh, less, you know, because of concerns about the the idea that companies can provide vaccine mandates themselves, but more of like, is this a responsibility of the federal government versus the state government? So, so that's the way it's been leaving. This court's actually been pretty receptive to mandates in general, but it's an issue of whether they think the Biden administration has the right to implement this kind of rule for companies. Do these rules being rejected, if they are, doesn't that make it harder for companies to enforce vaccine mandates? Well, it's really up to the companies. You know, they are able to do it. As I said, you know, the courts have held up the idea that, you know, you can do a broad vaccine mandate. Uh, as of now, though, it, you know, it looks like a lot of companies have been waiting to see how this all plays out because it's been, you know, thrown into legal questions since it was announced several months ago. Uh, they were supposed to take effect Monday, and a lot of companies have just been in wait-and-see mode. Uh, one study said about 30% of companies said they'll only do a mandate if the OSHA rules go through, so that will be a big question mark. You know, in some ways, it's better for companies to have the cover and say, we have to do this because the government is telling us to do it. And now, you know, they'll have to be left to navigate that on their own as if, to, if they want to do it or not. Citigroup, meantime, making it a strict requirement that you got to be vaccinated. Why are we looking at that vaccine mandate in particular? Citigroup has one of the strictest uh, mandates on Wall Street saying that if you aren't you know, can't show proof of vaccination or get an exemption, you're out of a job. This is notable because, you know, um, few companies have actually gone that far. More, more companies have said you may have to be vaccinated to go into the office. Notably, we've had companies like United and Tyson Foods uh, say, you know, have the no vaccine, no job mandate. But Citigroup uh, is the biggest among the banks to go ahead and do so. And it's really, you know, an example of a sprawling company. It's got, uh, you know, not just bankers in Manhattan. It has workers at local branches across the country. It has back office workers in places like Florida and Texas where there might be a little bit more vaccine hesitance. So it's really a marker of, you know, a broad, big U.S. company coming out and saying that you have to comply with this rule. And so far, you know, they say more than 90 percent have their deadline, their first deadlines approaching next week. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see the type of compliance they have and what sort of pushback there is. All right, Kara Wetzel, thank you for those updates. Lots to continue to follow. Later on, we're going to talk with a former teacher and the co-founder of Reach Capital about the school closure debate and what it means for EdTech. Taking a look at some other news, the biggest annual video game expo in the U.S. has now been canceled. E3 called off the conference five months in advance ahead of its normally scheduled time in June, citing COVID concerns. The Entertainment Software Association, which organizes the conference, didn't say whether it'll hold an online event this year or not. And GameStop is jumping on the NFT bandwagon. Bloomberg has learned its plans to launch a marketplace as well as a crypto partnership by the end of the year. Over the last few months, GameStop has hired about two dozen people to focus on crypto. This is the company looks more to digital sales rather than its stores. And coming up, we're going to take a look at the home flipping business. In particular, how the likes of Zillow and Open Door are flipping properties to some of the biggest names in global finance and what that means for average home buyers. Next. And as we head to break, I want to take a look at Sonos shares jumping the start of Friday trade. This following a ruling by the U.S. International Trade Commission that Google must stop importing phones, smart home devices, and laptops that are using Sono patented inventions without permission. 
The products affected weren't listed in the order, but the case involved a range of Google products with sound systems, including the Nest Hub and Pixel smartphones. This is Bloomberg. Much has been said about Zillow shutting down its home flipping operation last year. But with the company's efforts to sell off its inventory of thousands of homes, this has highlighted a little-noticed truth about the business called iBuying. I want to bring in Noah Buhire for Bloomberg's Big Take. And Noah, how exactly does iBuying work and what does it mean for average buyers? Yeah, so iBuying is a business model that's that's cropped up in the last couple of years. And, and basically what happens is tech companies like Zillow and Open Door and OfferPad use algorithms to make uh, instant cash offers for uh, people's homes. And uh, it's been really popular during the pandemic. Uh, it helps people avoid having to have an open house. It gives them a certainty of closing. And uh, it's, it's really grew rapidly this last year. Just in, in the third quarter, those three companies bought more than 27,000 homes uh, across the U.S. Um, and had more than $10 billion in inventory on their balance sheets at the end of the third quarter. Um, what uh, I was interested in looking at with some colleagues is what happens next. Uh, the iBuyers are, are flippers. They uh, uh, don't want to hold these homes on their books for very long. And oftentimes what they're doing is just listing them on the market. Normal people can come in and buy them. But uh, what uh, we found through our research and by looking at more than 100,000 property records is that they're flipping uh, a pretty staggering number of these to institutional landlords and particularly Wall Street backed companies that buy homes and uh, offer them as rentals. What does that mean for average home buyers or potential buyers? Is there no inventory? Are prices higher? Or they just can't get these homes? Yeah, it's a, a little of all of those things. Uh, this is happening, you know, while it's a relatively small and fast-growing business, it's happening, uh, it's really concentrated in a couple of Sunbelt markets. Um, places like Atlanta and Charlotte. And, you know, these are fast-growing cities where there's already – uh, a shortage of inventory, especially among the lower-priced homes that would uh, give people who are buying their first home a chance to get into the market. And so the worry that um, researchers and other folks we, we spoke with uh, told us is that some of these homes are, are just making it that much harder for people to get into the market. The other thing that's worth noting is that some of these homes that are getting sold to big investors are never even being listed on the MLS, which is uh, where most people go to, to find a home. So it's, they're just completely bypassing the market and uh, going from often you know, normal people to the iBuyer to a big institution. Is there a place to lay blame here? Is it Zillow? Is it Open Door or OfferPad or something else? 
I look, I think this is a feature of the business model that they've set up. They're trying to provide a convenience to home sellers. Home sellers are taking those bids. At the same time, there's an incredible amount of rental demand in our country, especially for single family homes. So what you're really seeing is the confluence of two business models that uh, are overlapping in pretty dramatic ways in a couple of places. How is the pandemic influencing this? Obviously, we're seeing trends in home buying and selling and population redistribution that we've never seen before. Yeah, look, I, I think the iBuyers pitch is more appealing because we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's, it's, a, it's a convenience for home sellers, but it, it also, like I said, allows a, a seller to not have to host open houses. Um, uh, by the same token, uh, these single-family rental companies uh, are, you know, have record occupancy right now because a lot of us right now want the room that is afforded by having a whole house to yourself rather than an apartment. All right. Noah Buhayer, really important read. Bloomberg's big take of the day. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Meantime, T-Mobile capped its biggest ever annual gain by beating Wall Street estimates for fourth quarter growth. The second largest U.S. carrier reporting 1.8 million new customers in the final months of the year. Still, T-Mobile predicts an industry slowdown in 2022. Carriers are moving away from the free phone promotions that led to a frenzy of signups. Coming up. We're going to have much more on Bitcoin's volatility this week, and it is not a new phenomenon. After reaching a record near 69,000 in November, the flagship cryptocurrency has been struggling ever since. We'll talk about where Bitcoin goes from here. Next, this is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Let's get back to financial markets and take a look at what's going viral. Bitcoin has been trending on and off all week and earlier dipped below 41,000. Our Ed Ludlow here with the latest. Ed, yeah, so Bitcoin's been winter, under pressure. has the winter already started? Yeah, Bitcoin's under pressure, right? The first sort of week of trading in January, we're down, we dip below 41,000. What's everyone talking about on Twitter? Hoddle. Bear with me. Hold on for dear life. Mr. Director, bring up the video. Let's see what we're talking about here. It's this idea that if you <laughs> hold Bitcoin, <laughs> it's okay because it's going to bounce back. This is the theory. So you have users out there, owners of these tokens, that are saying, don't sell, just hold on. This is what the hodlers are saying. Lots yeah. of hodlers casting shade on the sellers. Exactly. And there's some data to back this up, Emily, right? Because we know that volumes are down 
on the main major exchanges for cryptocurrencies. We know that transactions are down. So there is some justification in that. The question is, are they right? Is, is buy the dip the right call? Is it? Come and me into my Bloomberg terminal. <laughs> <laughs> Take a look at this chart. Because the other thing that we're talking about on Twitter in terms of going viral is the technicals. You have to remember it's a really sophisticated community that tracks Bitcoin. Look at those two red lines, the range $40,600 to $43,000. This is the so-called zone of interest, polarity zone of interest. The lower bound, the bottom red line, this is what we watch for. Because when we've dropped below that line, $40,600, we've continued to see declines, further drops. It was interesting to hear Mike Novogratz, who previously said 42000 was the bottom, come out on Friday and say, eh, actually, 38,000, 40,000 might be the bottom. We'll have to see where it goes. All but right. that's what we're talking about. Well, if you didn't know what hodling was, now you do. Thanks, you, Ed. And speaking of Bitcoin volatility, just what is behind these big bubbly swings? Bloomberg's Eddie Vanderwall explains. Just what makes Bitcoin rallies so explosive? When Bitcoin goes up, it goes up like a rocket. Its rallies are spectacular, with prices often jumping several thousand percent in a year. And the crashes are sometimes equally spectacular. But just what is it that makes Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies more generally so uniquely prone to manias that send prices soaring parabolically? First, the supply of Bitcoin has no relationship to the demand. Unlike classical goods and services studied by economists all the way back to Adam Smith, an increase in demand isn't met by an increase in supply. That's because the algorithm that dictates how Bitcoin works has prescribed a set rate of increase. When the price goes up, the mining capacity dedicated to the Bitcoin network increases and the difficulty of mining adjusts upwards. But the rate at which Bitcoin is mined doesn't increase. Second, and for this reason, when Bitcoin's demand outstrips new supply, the increases in price drive excitement. Headline writers and newspaper columnists find breathless adjectives to describe what's happening. That makes more people aware of the gains and more money flows in. And that makes Bitcoin a Veblen good. Unlike a normal good, demand for Veblen goods rise as their price rises. Higher prices beget higher prices. Until, of course, the mania becomes so big that the bubble bursts and the rally pops. Except that in the case of Bitcoin, every bubble that popped was eventually followed by another bubble. I like to think of it as a kind of rubber bubble, one that inflates and deflates over and over again. I'm Eddie van der Walt. This is Decrypted. For more content like this, follow us on your favorite platforms. Love some Eddie Vanderwall. Thank you, Eddie. Now, is a crypto winter upon us? Some investors are betting that rising interest rates and a tech swoon will also take a toll on crypto investing. Let's ask my next guest, Hasib Qureshi, who's a managing partner at Dragonfly Capital, a global fund that wants to bring crypto to the masses. So I'm just guessing, Hasib, here, but I assume you're hodling rather than not. Uh, that is correct. We are we are definitely hodling. I think you know, anybody who's looking at what crypto was doing last year was expecting that 
if and when interest rates rise, there's going to be a response in the total demand for crypto assets. Um, but I don't think I, I think looking at the effects of interest rates on crypto in the short term is very different from saying where do you think this asset class is going in the long term. Okay, so are we in for a winter that's just going to last a few months or a few years? Well, look, if 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 anybody knew in advance when winter was going to come or not going to come, then they'd be a lot richer than I am. Unfortunately, uh, the reality is that most people, when they try to call these things, they they end up being quite wrong. There, there are some things that are really overhyped right now in the market, and there are some narratives that really need to prove themselves before they can really be uh, taken, you know, before they can justify the valuations that they have today. But it's very clear that there have been a lot of secular trends, most of which have been accelerated by COVID over the last two years, that crypto is really tapping into. And the, the, the hordes of institutional investors that have started to buy crypto over the last couple of years um, most of them are not going to go away just because the price has come down, you know, 15, 20% from the highs. Um, you know, overall, within growth assets as a category, we've seen a broad pullback over the last six months, right? It's happened in traditional equities. And now that institutional investors both have exposure to traditional equities and to crypto, overall, when interest rates rise, there's a decreased demand for growth assets. And uh, because people want to move into safer assets because they because they pay more. Uh, and that's what we're seeing right now happening in crypto. But it's it's a far cry from saying that, okay, well, it's all over. Uh, it's definitely not all over. Um, but it's just that the, the, the pricing of crypto is naturally associated with the pricing of other risk assets. Meantime, we're expecting rates to rise, potentially. That's impacting big tech. We're also expecting more regulation. Bloomberg reporting that the Biden administration might require uh, companies, crypto companies, to report customer data to the IRS. How do you think that's going to impact the broader market? I mean, in general, the, the, the regulation that we see coming to crypto is mostly what we expected, right? I don't think anybody who's in this space very long was expecting that it's going to be the Wild West forever. The, what, what I'm much more concerned about is not the kind of gradual march of, okay, you know, there's a tighter integration between exchanges and the IRS and people who are trading on centralized exchanges need to report their taxes. Like, of course, that's going to happen. Um, the real question I think that uh, is, is on my mind is, are we going to see any sudden changes in that regulatory story that are unanticipated? Right. So, you know, Gensler uh, at the SEC, he's been banging this drum for a while that he feels that, you know, crypto and DeFi on the whole is, you know, illegitimate and or, you know, everything in crypto is potentially a security. Uh, now, clearly many people don't agree with him. Uh, even people within the, the administration don't agree with him. Uh, and certainly a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in Congress who ultimately are, are very likely going to be the ultimate determiners of how this stuff gets regulated. Um, but if we see a big shift in sentiment, whether it's on you know, the, the status of many of these tokens, whether it's on the way in which DeFi protocols are going to be regulated, whether it's on you know, the, the status of stablecoins and whether or not stablecoins can be treated the way they are today with any address anywhere owning a stablecoin. If, if we see a secular shift in the regulatory approach in the U.S., uh, that's what has me more concerned than the more gradual stuff that you're talking about that I think... Um, one way or another, was was bound to happen eventually as this space became institutionalized. Andreessen Horowitz just raised $9 billion, a huge fundraise. Some of that will go toward crypto. And there does seem to be an oversupply of funds going into the crypto market. Is this efficient, and are you seeing it drive 
real innovation are you seeing it put towards really potentially useful products? 30 seconds. Yeah, so there's a, there's a barbell right now. You're seeing a lot of funds coming into the late stage, uh, you know, sort of growth investing, right? So you're seeing SoftBank, KOTU, Tiger, you know, Andreessen, Paradigm. Um, and that's where a lot of this capital is going is in the very late stage investments, right? If you're raising a $3 billion plus fund, the only place you can really put it to work is in late stage uh, growth rounds. Um, you know, Dragonfly, we're much more early stage investors and that's where we do our bread and butter. It's where we make most of our, um, uh, you know, most of our really great investments. And in the early stage, I still see a ton of opportunity. There's so much, there's so many problems that need to get solved in crypto two to three years down the road before this stuff really attains mass adoption on the scale of hundreds of millions of users. And that's where I think the opportunity is still very ripe. All right. Saseeb Qureshi, Managing Partner at Dragonfly Capital. Thank you for joining us. Coming up, emotions boiling over in Chicago. We are standing firm and we are going to fight to get our kids back in in-person learning. This is more than 330,000 children are out of school for a third straight day. The issues facing the public school system, not unique to Chicago, will talk to a teacher turned EdTech investor and weigh in on this raging debate. This is Bloomberg. For a third straight day, classes at the third largest school district in the country are canceled. A battle is ongoing between the Chicago Public School Teachers Union and the city over safety concerns as the number of COVID cases continues to rise. It's an issue facing many districts across the country as educators struggle with how to teach while keeping everyone safe. Joining me now, Jennifer Carolyn, a Chicago native and also a former teacher who is now the general partner and co-founder of Reach Capital, which focuses on ed tech at all grade levels. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. So as not just a former teacher, but a former teacher in the Chicago suburbs, what's your reaction to what's happening in Chicago right now? Thanks for having me on, Emily. Really appreciate it. Um, I think it's I think it's really really sad all around. Um, this is 330,000 students that are going to be out of school again um, across the country. There's 5,000 schools are closed due to COVID issues, and this is um, at a time when the students have suffered a lot already with mental health and unfinished learning and and other issues. So it's it's very challenging. Everyone wants to lay blame somewhere. You know, parents might blame teachers. Teachers might blame the system. Do you see someone to blame? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I, I, I don't. I, I think it's a lot of people are pointing pointing fingers at the unions right now. Um, I do think that the the teachers have a extremely challenging job right now, and it's it's simply unsustainable. Um, their jobs right now. So I, I do feel that the, the, the teachers are under just so much pressure. 77% of them are women. They are struggling with their own childcare issues. Um, they're, they're having their own challenges with COVID. And I think that, you know, they, they are not to blame during, during this time. And what they need right now is our compassion and empathy, not, not blame. They need our support. 
So what do we need to do to address first the teacher crisis and then the crisis that involves getting our kids back into in-person school? Sure. So, so teacher shortages existed long before COVID. Um, the pandemic is really just bringing to the surface um, these challenges that have existed in the system for a, for a long time. The system has been stressed and now it's we're really seeing how um, it's breaking the system. So over the years, the demands on the teachers have grown to levels that are just cannot continue. So they have very long work days. They are expected to communicate with parents 24 seven. Their jobs are basically um, inflexible. So it's hard for them to even go to the bathroom during the day, much less a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. They're underpaid. The average teacher makes $57,000 a year. Substitute teachers about $13 to $15 an hour. Um, so I think that there, there really needs to be leadership at the state and federal level to get behind our teachers right now, pay them more to in, increase um, their incentives and working and better their working conditions. So what about the kids and this mental health crisis? It is so, so scary and school is, you know, a lifeline for, for children across the country. Would being in the classroom physically, would it solve all these problems? Well, it's certainly better for, for the children. Um, we know that the, the children's mental health has been suffering for, for, for a long time, for years before the pandemic. And the pandemic really accelerated um, the mental health issues of our, of our children, especially our teens. So the, you may have seen the, the Surgeon General came out with an advisory um, about the mental health crisis for our teens. One in three high school students ex are experiencing persistent feelings of sad, sadness and hopelessness. Um, I think it's really a time that we need to take a closer look at, at our children and what types of supports and services that we are providing for them. We know that, that kids need social interaction. They need to be amongst each other. And some of the research that's coming out about the deleterious impacts of the, um, the pandemic on, on teens, especially high schoolers, is that they suffered from not being amongst each other, not having time to interact with one another. When sports mm -hmm. were canceled, activities canceled, that's what has really negatively impacted them. And it's most critical for the, the students that um, are, are most vulnerable, that right. are from the, the lowest income neighborhoods. What does this mean for education technology, which you know, REACH Capital has been investing in for a long time, since long before the pandemic? And we were all so grateful for it when the pandemic started, but the skeptics say, you know, virtual learning now, it's just not enough. Yeah, there, there's no question virtual learning is is not where where it needs to be. And and I experienced that with my three kids during during the pandemic. And many, you know, many families were, were frustrated by the, the existing solutions out there. I'm encouraged that there is more attention, more money, more investment going into um, venture capital in education technology right now. And I think that will help create better solutions long term. But there are very exciting um, areas and solutions that that EdTech is um, that is really improving right now for for students. Um, and some of the areas that I'm most excited about are ways in which we can support teachers better and reduce their burdens and really help offset this labor shortage. So where are you placing your bets? 
as we look ahead quickly and knowing that the pandemic is in you know, some way, shape or form going to drag on? Yeah, so um, we're investing from preschool, K-12, higher ed, lifelong learning, um, and some of the areas that I'm most excited about and focused on are things that are uh, aimed at the teacher. And the teacher's, the teacher's job being so challenging as it is, what are some tools and ways that the teacher doesn't have to do it all, that we can really bring a village of supporters and uh, content and support around the teacher and in the classroom. So we've invested in um, live online marketplaces like OutSchool, which uh, provides uh, on-demand online and scheduled classes for, for students. And we're also looking at, at issues like mental health and how can we better support schools um, to diagnose and to understand wh who are the students that, that need help. Okay, Jennifer Carolyn. Reach Capital co-founder, thank you for joining us on this and wading into um, what's been a very emotional debate. Appreciate you taking the time today. Coming up, Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit taking flight on the NASDAQ as the space launch operator prepares for new missions in 2022. That is next. This is Bloomberg. Virgin Orbit heading skyward. The commercial space launch operator founded by Richard Branson started trading on the NASDAQ after completing a SPAC. It's just one of a number of startups launching low-level satellites. Virgin Orbit CEO Dan Hart spoke to my colleagues. The company planning a lot of firsts, he says, in 2022. For our company, we pierced the pandemic and drove a new technology into space launch. And what will we have to do? We've got to continue to do that. Um, in the last eight weeks, we penetrated the market more than we ever have. Um, we signed a deal with ANA Airlines for 20 uh, launches um, out of Japan. Um, we signed uh, agreements with new space technology companies like Hypersat for hyperspectral imaging of the Earth, uh, 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 Arcit, quantum encryption from space, uh, Spire, Boeing, other companies. Um, it's, uh, it's frankly a very exciting time for us. What we need to do is continue to do that, and that's what we plan to do. We have a rocket that's in Mojave right now being ready for launch uh, over the next few days. We'll launch that. We have launches uh, coming behind it. We have the first launch out of the UK coming uh, this year. Our system is unique in that we can launch from pretty much any airport uh, that can handle a 747 across the world. Um, Dan, there are different aspects to space. One is going to be deeper space exploration like Mars, one's the moon, one's space travel, and one is low Earth orbit. Um, and that's satellites that are closer to Earth. Uh, and that's really where the fundamental money-making ability is going to be. How, how big is that addressable market, Dan? Oh, the market for um, for space, you know, is growing. Uh, overall, space is growing to be uh, well over a trillion dollar market from about 400 million right now over the next 15 to 20 years. Um, so the forecasts are very strong. Low Earth orbit, small satellites is the, the the strongest part of that growth, 
and our system is geared towards making sure they can get to the right orbit at any time to maintain the connectivity to their customers or from the national security point of view to do critical missions. Dan, is there a plan to evolve the business model beyond launching um, the, the rockets, the satellites from below a 747? Is there a, a different model that you could ultimately end up pursuing here? And as an extension to that question, if not, do you see yourself in a different market, for instance, to SpaceX? So we have uh, reached into very unique markets. I mean, for instance, you know, I mentioned the UK. We can set up shop and, and give countries the capability to launch from their sovereign shores um, without them doing much except use an, air, an existing airport. There are environmental benefits to it uh, that ground launch doesn't have, as well as flexibility and affordability. Um, so, I mean, there are almost 80 space agencies across the world right now. Only about 10 countries have space launch. That's a huge business opportunity. Additionally, in national security, which is becoming more and more important, I mean, you've read about the, the Russian uh, uh, anti-satellite test, for instance. We can be available in case a satellite is threatened or damaged and put them up in a moment's notice. Mm. And hopefully that, that disincentivizes aggression in space. Um, Dan, it feels like every company out there is trying to get involved in space uh, to some capacity. Um, recent Chinese complaint uh, to the UN about a SpaceX Starlink a near miss with, the spa with their space station. How crowded is it getting up there and does that limit the addressable market for you? You know, the, what's needed in space really, and I think everybody is, is in agreement on this, is, is more international collaboration and cooperation and infrastructure so that we can do space traffic management just like we do air traffic management today. Virgin Orbit CEO Dan Hart there. Wall Street Week coming up next. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the name your price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's name your price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Live from a basement in Dubuque, Iowa. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. 30 minutes from the Field of Dreams and four hours from the closest professional sports team. It's not a lie if you believe it. On the banks of the Mississippi River. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I mean, you? It's the Degenerate Sports Betting Show with Matthew Friedman. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. And now your host, Matthew Friedman. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Freeman, Matt F. The Oracle. Welcome to the Degenerate Sports Betting Show brought to you by Best TV and sponsored by the FTN Network, where you can get all the season-long and daily fantasy and sports betting content, your degenerate heart desires, including my fantasy football write-ups and all of my NFL size totals and player props. Although, let's be honest, the football season is over. All right, no more fantasy write-ups for me. This is the greatest Monday in the history of Mondays. But there's still a lot of content you can get 
at FTN. So use the highly original promo code Friedman for 20% off of your FTN subscription. That is Friedman for 20% off at FTN. Thanks for checking out the show. Subscribe to the Bets TV channel on YouTube and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. It is Monday. Glorious, glorious Monday. Uh, only, only six football games for the NFL on the horizon. No Monday night football per se, although we do have the college football championship tonight. So we're going to talk about that game a little bit and then talk about some of the, maybe we'll look ahead a little bit to some of the games, but talk about the the coaching transactions, guys being fired. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about, you know, what happened last night on Sunday Night Football, which was incredibly epic. Let's get into it. Producer Tom, Thomas Viola, Psychic on the Controls, Connoisseur of Pasta, Titan of Tomato Sauce, Billy Joel Junkie, and Long Suffering, although now relieved Jets fan. Tom, uh, how is your Monday going for you? Um, it is great. I woke up 20 minutes ago and here we are. So I'm going to call that a good one. Still basking in the glow of what could have been the greatest football game ever played. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. So before we started recording, you asked if I thought that the Raiders at the end of overtime were going for the win, like we're going to try to advance the ball aggressively, or if they were content to go with the tie. Tom, why don't you give me your thoughts on it, and then I will give you my uh, totally uninformed analysis. I mean, the whole thing to me was like the 2020 election. We failed to stop the steal, which I really I really wanted to see it. I wanted to see the Steelers get jobbed out of the playoffs by a tie football game. And the best part of it was we had the whole narrative the whole time of, oh, you know, they could just knee the ball the whole time and we'd get a tie. And we all knew that wasn't going to happen, but there was a very real chance that if this game was close towards the end, and I didn't think we were going to get there when the number was 12, when the Raiders had 29 points, and we ended up getting there on 32. But once you got to the end of the game, there was the possibility both teams would go, okay, we're kind of good. And that's what the Raiders did. I, I, I still think that they were fine kicking a field goal to win the game no matter what. But I think that they... Their mentality was very clearly, we're, we're just not going to let Derek Carr throw a pick six here. We're going to go down the field as leisurely as we want. And if we get in a field goal range, we get in a field goal range. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think that is the case. And I also think that the timeout did not cost the Chargers the game. Like, I think I it's sort of, I think it's both. So let's just look at the last four plays of the game. Coming out of the two-minute warning, the Chargers, sorry, the, the Raiders have the ball at the 45-yard line of the Chargers. So they're not really in field goal range. They're close-ish, but they're they're out of field goal range. And coming out of the two-minute warning, they run the ball. Like that is a clear sign that they are not really aggressively looking to advance the ball. And then after that, an even clearer sign. They lose a yard on the rush. They don't run up to the line of scrimmage and look to throw a quick pass. They let 40 seconds run off of the play clock and then they run the ball again. So like they were not really looking to push for the win. It was just, we're going to run the ball. We're going to let the clock run down and we're going to see what happens. Now, there's nothing to say that they wouldn't have run the same play 
after the timeout, right? So I don't think that the timeout really changed much in terms of what they were going to do. And the timeout did let Brandon Staley put a better run defense on the field, right? Because at that point, uh, up to that point in the series, uh, he had had more of a pass defense on the field in terms of like nickelbacks and things like that. So moving into more of a base formation, like in theory, that actually should have been good for the run defense. It was just that, I mean, the, the Raiders had a good running play after that, where Josh Jacobs got seven yards, uh, more time ran off the clock, and then another timeout. You still have your better run defenders in there, and then another big run. Like, I don't, I don't think that really what the Chargers did changed what the Raiders were going to do. I think it did give the Chargers a better chance of having their their key run defenders in there, but it it's a bad look. I think it's just it's just kind of random the way that it worked out. I I will say definitely with timeout gate here. I if you look at the play, there's a receiver lined up at the bottom of the screen who has a corner who's playing like 15 yards off of him. He's if they if they don't call that timeout and the and the defense you can clearly see it all over the field like they don't know what's going on at that point. And by the way, embarrassing effort by the Chargers letting them run down the field like that. You were just on the bench for like half an hour because the longest two-minute drill in history right. by your offense. Right. And then you come out and you are that – you have no excuse to be that tired and let the Raiders run all over you that much. But right there, it that's a quick pass for at least five yards that gets the first down and most likely puts you into field goal range. That timeout was necessary to call to mm -hmm. get that defense in order. I fully believe that. Yeah. And let's talk about one one quick thing before this. They could have gone for two to try to win the game. After yeah, I, that last second touchdown, they could have gone for two. And Staley has been aggressive on like the analytics front this entire year. This was a moment where he chose not to do what I I think a lot of sort of like the analytically inclined coaches might have done. This was like a let's get into overtime, and that gives us a sort of clear path to the playoffs. Yeah, because he, the thing here is in a vacuum, you should go for two there. We saw it not work out for Harbaugh twice this year, but it's still the right call. In this particular circumstance, it is not because of the fact that a tie is a win for you. Yeah. You, are, like, you, you play for the maximum possible outcomes there, and in that game, you absolutely don't put it. You, you don't go for two in a situation where a tie gets you the win. You right. you kick the you kick the extra point, and hope for the best from there. But that that is absolutely the play there. Because it, could you imagine if all you have to do is tie and you go for the two there and you miss it? Like we'd right. be talking about that way more. But right. also a, a push thank, is a win in this yeah, instance. Yeah, a push is absolutely a win here. And thank God that the Steelers beat the Ravens because could you imagine if we got robbed? Of that magic, of that game, of which game? Oh, of like yeah. yes, got it. it yeah. If the Steelers beat the Ravens, this game only means something to one team. Or if the Steelers yeah. lose to the Ravens, yeah, thank God we got that. I was sitting there the whole time, rooting for the tie, and I think it is the first time in the history of American sports where all of America was rooting for a sporting event to end in a tie. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I will say like the, uh, thank God that the, the Steelers won though. Like now we have to see them in the playoffs. That's, that's true, but at least we got this game out of it. And let's be real. The Raiders going to Kansas city wouldn't be much different. Yeah. I don't know. I think that would actually be a really interesting game because the Raiders have recently been and it's a different era now, but like the John Gruden Raiders, like they were sneakily competitive with the chiefs and like a divisional game, like the third time in a year that teams play each other weird stuff happens in those games it i would have I, I would have been very upset if we got another blowout though because i mean what what if the chiefs outscored them 89 to 17 this season yeah like not I great. Mean, yeah i would just i would say like i feel like the third game would be different i i would hope so my buddy is actually going he bought tickets he was uh, we were sitting online during the sunday football games talking and he was like oh tickets for the game at arrowhead the playoff game are like 140 bucks and my friend and i our eyes lit up we were like you have to go if they're that cheap you have to go and so he very nearly got raiders chiefs tickets there for 140 bucks for a playoff game i mean that would be pretty awesome i'm surprised tickets were that cheap same i was too that's very weird yeah that was that was really surprising but what a game that was i i am really curious if we lost a sports book if there was a tie because I don't know if they could have covered the Jags tie parlay. Yeah. A lot of people had that and that was a ridiculous payout. Yeah. That, that would have been amazing. I would have loved to seen that happen. Like not okay. Not like I'm rooting for a sports book to go bankrupt, but come on, like that would be an awesome win for the degenerates out there. Yeah. Like what would happen if we actually for the first time ever, bankrupted a book because i don't know if they'd be able to cover the losses from that i i do know i was i was toying with the idea of laying it got down to minus 1400 on the no tie and i was toying with the idea of laying the price Mm -hmm. yeah i mean a sweat that really would have been you would have hated yourself for sure instead i got to enjoy the best game we've ever seen yeah that's true all right speaking of the best game we've ever seen Let's talk about the national title game tonight for football. Indeed, we've got the natty here. Georgia is a three-point favorite in this one over Alabama tonight. The totals of 52.5. I am surprised the number has stayed where it is because you know the public money has been coming in on Bama. The mattress Mac money is in on Bama. I can confirm that. <laughs> that that's the important money. Yeah. Mattress Mac money. He's a good guy. I've met him. Uh-huh. He's he, he's uh, yeah. good folks. Yeah, he seems uh he seems totally fine and yeah. definitely folksy. Uh, oh, he's completely folksy. Uh the best anecdote from him is that every time he flies into Vegas, he always goes to get a steak at Ellis Island because they have a five dollar steak and egg special. And he says it's the best steak in Vegas. Wow. And if that doesn't if that doesn't tell you everything about that man, nothing does. Wow, that uh, that is totally the type of thing that a billionaire would say. Uh, actually, well, millionaire. I guess is he a billionaire? Do we actually know? He's not a billionaire. A, yeah, a, a a rich, a working rich dude. That's totally the type of thing that he would say. And I would say, especially a working rich dude from Texas. Yeah, like I I feel like I know 
like I know that kind of person, mm-hmm. you know. So where are you going in this game? Are you sticking with Georgia? Are you going with Bama here? What are your thoughts? Okay, so looking at um, the odds page that we have, this line actually has started to move a little bit more. So like an hour ago, it was the only three that you could get in the industry was at points bet. Now there's a three at DraftKings. Um, there's a three at Sugar Hill. It's starting, it is starting to move a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Like the, the fishy thing is to go with Alabama. Right. But that was also the fishy thing like against Cincinnati too. And like they dominated. I, I think this Alabama team is being, I don't know. It's hard to say that like in any given game, Alabama is being undervalued, but Alabama as a dog just feels so enticing, especially because we have seen them beat Georgia before. Um, I I don't know. Like, let's just like a little historical information here. If you take out Nick Saban's first year at Alabama, which I think it's fine to remove that because like a coach's first year, like he doesn't have a recruiting class yet. That's his. So taking away his first year at Alabama, and going only from 2008 to the present time. Saban has been an underdog in only six games. So, like, it's a small sample. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. On that note, you're leaving out a key stat here. Saban has been an underdog in only six games. In each of those games, he has won by double digits. No. Except for one. Except for one? Except for one. Uh, Florida. Uh, against Florida. I believe it was an SEC championship game. But that was like in 2008. Yeah. Like this, like, you know, but so been an underdog only six times. We shouldn't read too much into the sample. I probably, but yeah, five and one against the spread as an underdog. Uh, And even if you look at the money line, five and one on the money line with an average uh, like margin, an average point differential of almost 15 points a game. You know, like Saban is just, he's unreal. Um, So I, I don't know, man. Like I know this is sort of like a square bet, but uh, I would, I would be very tempted to bet on Alabama here. Um, Either, the the money line or the spread you know i think if you're going to bet plus three you might as well bet them on the money line but um this that's my totally uninformed like i don't watch like i like college football but i just like i've made the conscious decision the past couple years not to watch it because i don't want to take up my saturdays in addition to my sundays oh i did it tom i'm sorry you can still hear me but all right, there. We'll get you back in a second. I, I I do I do agree with you on the point of like I I don't watch a ton of college football. I suffer myself through a few Syracuse games a year. There we go. And like I'll watch the big games. Yeah. Like when they like I'll watch the marquee matchups and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, I've got I've got too much to do to yeah. be watching football both days. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. That's how. I, so anyway, it's like I'm I'm saying this as someone who's totally uninformed in terms of like watching games this year. 
but if you just look at the historical numbers with Saban, I don't know, man. Like I, I understand that Georgia is the better team. Like Georgia I should, I Georgia should be favored. I don't know that I agree with that at all. Let, I mean, okay. Let me let me rephrase this. Georgia, based on the numbers that smart people use to create lines, Georgia should be favored. Okay, like I'll say so. Like I'll just say, like I understand how this line is created and why Georgia is favored, even though Alabama beat them once already this year. But like my Neanderthal brain just looks at this and thinks Saban should almost never be an underdog, especially against a team that he's already beaten this year, and it's it's a conference opponent. It's not as if he's playing against some team that he doesn't know. Like he knows this team. So I think Alabama wins. Uh, I mean, look, I, I'm completely with you. I have seen I've seen Bama win far too many national championships to go out and bet against them. I have had money. I, I thought this line was gonna move in their favor. Once I saw it opened with Georgia as as three point favorites. I thought this was going to move way the other way. So I hammered them on the money line immediately, which was in hindsight, probably a bad idea given you never know when a team's going to get a bout of COVID and get decimated. But still, I I wanted to take advantage of the number. Maybe shouldn't have because I can still get it today, but who cares? Here we are. I've got Bama tonight. And I, I mean, I don't think that Georgia's the better team in this game, especially because first off, they did get defeated. It was 41-24. Georgia put up a fight in the first quarter and then Bama kind of just steamrolled them, which is what Bama does. They'll, they they yeah. don't even let you hang around really in the first. So it was a testament to Georgia to do that. But Bama just took over that game and was dominant throughout. And you look at this Georgia schedule, you look at the numbers and you say, yeah, they were really impressive. But you look at this schedule, who'd they play? They beat Auburn 34-10. They beat Kentucky. They beat the Gators 34-7. to They beat Clemson, but Clemson sucked this year. And that game was the first game of the season, but it was 10-3. And then you have a whole bunch of games against not particularly good teams. Like, congratulations, you beat Mizzou and Tennessee by a combined score of 84-23. to The Charleston Southern Buccaneers, that's a real powerhouse of football. Georgia Tech, you beat 45-0. Congratulations there. That's your season right there. Arkansas, you beat 37 nothing. Like they didn't play a lot of good teams. You flip that around. You look at Bama, they trounced Miami in the opener. They beat Florida. Granted, Georgia had a better win over Florida than they did. They struggled to 31-29, but that was the start of the season. They destroy Ole Miss. Yeah, they lost to Texas AM. But I mean, AM, congratulations, you got one there. They beat LSU. They beat the Razorbacks. They beat Auburn. It took them to OT. But you just look at what they've been able to do, and it's just been better. And then people go to the playoff games and say, oh, well, Alabama beat Cincinnati, but they didn't really look like a dominant team in that game. They kind of just slow burned them, whereas Georgia steamrolled the Wolverines. I don't think Michigan was all that good. And quite frankly, I think that the biggest tears that are going to be cried if Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL are from Ohio State fans. I don't care that he won this year. This team is nowhere near as good under Harbaugh. They, they have not been competitive in the Big Ten until this season. I don't think that this is really that much of a difference from – I think this is the aberration, not the 
trend we're going to see for the future. As much as I'd love to see that game be competitive, I like seeing Ohio State beat them every year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that uh, you said in the tangent coming off. But uh, yeah, the, the main the main thrust of this, like I, I agree. Like I do think that Alabama is better. I'm just saying like the, the smart betters I know, and here's the thing, actually, I, when it comes to like teams that are awesome, like dynastically awesome, like Alabama, the Patriots, whatever, a lot of sharp people are wrong, just like all the time wrong on teams like this. Like a lot of really smart betters bet against Tom Brady and the Patriots for a number of years. And there are just some teams that are the exception. And so like almost every smart better I know is on Georgia, which like on the one hand kind of terrifies me. But on the other hand is like, this is very much in keeping with what sharp betters do whenever they go wrong. Like they all want to be sharp and like being sharp means not betting on Alabama. Yeah, being sharp means fading the public. And yes, the public right. is on Bama here. But you know what? A lot of smart bettors I know are on Bama too. And yes, it, okay. it gives That's you pause. It gives you pause whenever you're on a public side. But I know a couple sharp people that are saying, yeah, it, I'm betting on Bama in this game. The fact that I'm getting plus money on Alabama to win a national title. Yeah. The only time <laughs> they have ever walked into a title game and I said they are not the better team in this game was the Clemson year where Clemson Uh blew them out. Yeah. But any other time, I'm going to defer to Saban. I'm going to defer to this team. Bryce Young has been playing phenomenal ball here. This this isn't the best Bama team we've ever seen, but I fully believe they're a heck of a lot better than Georgia. It's one of the worst Alabama teams that we've seen in the past eight years. Yeah, they don't have a ton of superstar talent. Yeah. Here's here's one thing that uh, gives me a little bit of pause. I would like your insight on it. Mm-hmm. Saban in the college football championship game. So outside of the BCS era, he's one and four against the spread. Now, like, I don't want to read too much into that because I I think that can be a little bit fluky, but it does maybe speak to the idea that in this one big game, the line does get massively inflated towards Alabama because the bookmakers know they can do that. But they're, they're three, they're three point dogs. Yeah. I mean, it could still be inflated, right? Like it could still be inflated. If, a lot of smart betters think that this line should really be like five and a half or six. I, I, I think that, the, I think that the thing to more so look at is that maybe some of the lines when Bama is a favorite are inflated the other way. And mm-hmm. that therefore makes it a little harder to cover the spread in a game that is traditionally going to be a lot tighter because you're not going to roll over in the, in the championship game, no matter who you're playing or what, what's going on. And yeah. I, I think that Saban as a I, I I'm much more interested in the trend of Saban as a dog not losing than I am in the trend of Saban not covering spreads in the natty. Yeah, I, I mean, I am, too. 
but like i don't want to ignore what mm-hmm. happens in past national championships because i like you know i i do think that there's something there i just it's a question as to whether it's applicable in this instance or not for me what it comes down to matt i don't want to if i lose money because i bet on alabama to win a title i'm at peace with that decision yeah if i lose money because i bet against alabama to win a title title i have to sit through a three-hour-long football game kicking myself for being an idiot the entire time for betting against them that is a very degenerate way of, of looking at this I, I mean, I, I am betting the way everything that I look at with this game tells me to bet Bama. If yeah. they lose, so be it. I made a call. I had a stance and I took it. Yeah. And I'll believe it was the right, especially if they lose a close one. I'll believe I had the right call. Yeah. So I haven't bet on this game yet uh, in terms of the, the side or the money line. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably, you know, I I might wait just a little bit longer. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not, but uh, I might. I haven't taken a, a position on the total either. If I had to, I would probably lean under, but I really don't have an opinion there. I'd probably go over just because, I mean, we see – we it, college, I feel like college football, we generally see a lot more scoring in these big games. Yeah, yeah the Bama and Cincy went under, but – I don't know. I could see. I could see this one going either way. Uh, I'm not really on the total here. Yeah, I'm. I'm not on it either. I have bet one prop. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. under 65 and a half yards rushing. Um, FanDuel minus 110 odds. This opened at I think like 80 and a half or high 70s, and it's been bet down. Uh, he had 55 yards against Georgia in the SEC championship. Georgia has a top five run defense. I think Alabama is going to need to rely on quarterback Bryce Young to dominate usage in the offense if they are going to win this game. Uh, and, you know, if they're not winning this game, I don't think they're going to be running the ball all that much anyway. So I am taking the under there, Brian Robinson, 65 and a half yards rushing. All right. I, I, I'm with you on that. I think that this is going to be more of a passing team. I mean, it, it's it's been that way for most of the season. They do have some really solid wide receivers. I, I don't see this Bama team quite doing the whole uh, grind it out to win this game. Yeah. The guy I really want to see on Alabama is uh, Jamison Williams. Um, like, I think he's, if he's not the number one wide receiver in this class, he, because I know there, there are other really good wide receivers that people are kind of obsessed with, but, I don't know. I, for me, he's kind of, I think he's number one. Uh, he's big. He's fast. He has the uh, like high school recruitment pedigree. He's got the college production. Um, if he leaves college now, I think he would still be a 21-year-old rookie. So like, there are things to be really interested in with him. Um, so you know, just another marquee game. I would just like to see how he performs on a big stage. Yeah. I would love to see the Jets come out of the draft this year with a wide receiver, with a big wide receiver, like someone who can be a Jamar Chase for Zach Wilson. But in the end, we have two top end picks, and I know that we're going to spend them on a defensive end who is going to have a middling career on a second contract for a different team, and a cornerback who's going to bust out of the league. Such as I, I was, I was going to say, yeah, definitely a, a cornerback because let's be honest, the Jets could use a cornerback, Tomothy. I don't know about that. 
I don't know about that. At the very least, yeah. at the very least, I think they have one for the future in Eccles. Yeah. We'll I'm see. not as sold on the other side. What was the line? Three and a half? Three, Three and, and a half, half. Uh, more he's got a great story. He's a got starter. a great story, too, though. Sixth round draft pick, Juco kid. Mm-hmm. And he did actually have a decent season yeah. for the Jets here. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some of the coach firings. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, it's Black Monday. What what do you think we should? So the guys at the um, the NFL Network, like around the uh, around the NFL podcast, they mm-hmm. call this New Horizons Monday to get away from like the negative connotations of Black Monday. What do you think this day should be called? Black Monday. This is a day when yeah. people are losing their jobs. It's a negative day. Yeah, that's just that's just what it is. New Horizons Monday. Cut me. Cut the crap on this this is like changing the disabled list to the injured list in baseball like you're not doing anything here you're not making yeah, well, a difference i mean they're they're saying it very tongue-in-cheek um let's let's talk about some of these guys let's let's start with the most surprising one really didn't see this coming matt Nagy out as bears head coach <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one i thought you were going elsewhere what I is know. there to say it's amazing that he even made it to this season uh, if not for the Bears making the playoffs last year, he definitely would have been fired. And I, I would argue that um, staying with him for another year set the team back. You know, yeah. so uh, bad move, I think, in keeping him, even though he made the playoffs, I think they probably still should have fired him. Um, I mean, after his first season with the team, he, he had a legitimately good first year with the Bears where, uh, you know, his scheme was good. They were great against the spread. He made Mitchell Trubisky look like a functional NFL quarterback. After that, all of the seasons after his first year in Chicago, he was a pleasure to bet against. So I am sad to see him go because he, you could just basically auto bet against Matt Nagy and end up positive on the season. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of like real football, totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm sad to see him go, too, because one of my friends is a big Bears fan, and I greatly enjoyed Misery Loves Company, so I greatly enjoyed that. He also constantly talks about how Justin Fields needs to be fitted for a gold jacket already, and that makes me want Justin Fields to have a terrible career. Well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I, I see your point. Yeah, it's solely, it's solely about wanting him to shut up. Uh, next up, I'd say... Vic Fangio, I, I think, got jobbed a little bit. Uh, he he put on he put up some good defenses. Teddy Bridgewater was your quarterback, and you looked like a functional team. And then you actually won some games with Drew Locke here. I think if they ever actually gave him a quarterback, he could have done a better job. And I don't think it's really on him. Yeah, I think that's fair. He is the defensive guy there. He did, uh, I think, a pretty good job with the defensive players that he had. Um, I think one of the bigger questions for me uh, is what role he had in the decision to draft a cornerback in the top 10 mm-hmm. instead of a rookie quarterback in a class that is pretty loaded at the position, at least at this point, like from the prospect level of these guys entering, like, Hey, you know, you could have drafted a guy there, to be the quarterback of the future instead of relying on Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Like, hey, who could have anticipated that uh, it wouldn't work out with those two guys as your two quarterbacks? Like, 
like that was an easy thing to call. Uh, yeah. And granted, I think they drafted a really good player uh, in the top 10 who will be a staple of that defense for years. That's fine. But quarterback is always more important than cornerback. Like, unless you have basically like three shutdown cornerbacks, like it doesn't matter if your quarterback sucks. But on the flip side of it, I feel like you, you you have to have been in that draft room because if they genuinely said we don't like these quarterbacks, they made a good move. And I mean, you look at I, you I look mean, at the ish. you look at the play that we've had this season from said quarterbacks. I I don't know that Mac Jones does what he's done anywhere but New England. And then the second best quarterback from the draft class through one year is General Mills. It, Davis Mills had the best rookie season of any of the other quarterbacks. Okay, that that's fine. Um, then I would also say, like, one, like, maybe take a shot on Mills in the third round, like, mm-hmm. or, or second round, whatever it is, like, take a shot on him. Um, there were other quarterbacks who fell, like, Trask, Kellen Mond. Like, you have a really bad quarterback situation. Like yeah, you maybe improve it. maybe take a shot on someone on day two, but also, I mean, I uh, two, two things. Yeah, you could have had Justin Fields. I think it's worth taking a shot on him. Um, I don't think we should write off Justin Fields just yet because he was uh, being ethered by the influence of Matt Nagy. And then, yeah. secondly, like if they did if they did galaxy brain themselves to say like, okay, we have no interest in any of the quarterbacks in this class. Like that's a problem. Like I would say like scouting wise, that's a problem. Like you should have been interested in someone. Maybe that guy doesn't make it to you, but like, I don't know, Justin Fields, if he makes it to you, and you're in the top 10, but I don't know. Like, they probably should have taken Fields. And I would say, like, I think that having Fangio, who's a defensive-minded head coach, like, that impacts the decision to draft a cornerback instead of the most important position in professional sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the equation was we have Teddy Bridgewater at QB. We ride the back of an amazing defense, and he man- game manages us to the playoffs. And it just didn't quite work, which yeah. I get. But I do think I, I I do think that he will not be out of a job very long. He will be someone's defensive coordinator next year. Maybe not next year. Maybe there's a year gap, but still. I I mean he should be he should be a defensive coordinator immediately. Yeah. You know, like if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm calling Fangio and I'm like, hey, like saddle up. Let's let's do this. Yeah. Um, because they would get hired. The two of them together would, would get hired. There is no guarantee that Harbaugh leaves Michigan, by the way. Correct. Um, do you, do you have thoughts on that? Like, do you think he wants to leave Michigan? I don't know. I, I think part, like, it comes down to how much is he a competitor who wants to get back up to the national stage, uh, like to, to the pro stage mm-hmm. versus, the reality that he should not leave Michigan. The the fact that he's had that job this long and been this bad at it, and then now you're at the highest that your goodwill has been. Why why are you selling now? Because you could just post up in Michigan 
and be a god on that campus for the rest of time. Like there is no question. I would rather be a college coach than a professional coach any day of the week. Like yeah. that's that's a better gig. It is, but these these guys are competitive. Like they want to play at the highest level. And um man, like I actually I kind of disagree on the Harbaugh take. Like I I think I think if he has another 4 years similar to the ones that he had before this season, he's gone. And I think like it would actually be hard for him to get into the NFL under other circumstances, except mm-hmm. for the one he's in now, like, because he does have that reputation of like, okay, he destroyed a locker room. That's basically yeah. like the reputation, like things were functional and then he just wore everyone down. Yeah, um, I, That's the thing. I think that yeah. he is a college coach. He had more, like he had success at Stanford. Granted did have Andrew Luck. He had success at okay. He didn't really have success at Michigan until this year, but then you had a couple of those years on the 49ers, But he had Colin Kaepernick back when running quarterbacks weren't a thing yet, and so no one really knew how to defend him, and they were able to get to a Super Bowl off that. He also had Alex Smith. Like he he did a really good job with the 49ers. and I do think a lot of what happened was Trent Balky instead of just Jim Harbaugh totally screwing stuff up. Like I, I, I don't know what evidence do you have that Trent Balky has ever like it's not like he's gone anywhere else and also screwed everything up. Are you serious? He is the Jaguars GM. I'm fully aware. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Very okay. Facetious. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I just I just didn't know. I didn't know. Okay. This. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it had more to do with Balky than with Harbaugh. I, I think a difference between Harbaugh now and Harbaugh at Stanford is that. Um, like the, the rate at which guys can transfer has like exploded. And so like college is much more like the pro game now than it used to be. So like, I think he's thinking like, if these guys are getting more power, if they can leave pretty much whenever they want, if they're getting like, they're basically able to be professional athletes now with the right to get paid for their image why don't I just go back to the NFL and like this is the one opportunity he has to do it because he's on a high after this season so I I get it I think he probably should do it and I think he could probably have more success uh well I okay I wouldn't say like more success than he had with the 49ers but like I think it will be different for him this time around like I think he would have a better sense of how to manage the locker room and I think he could still be a very good NFL coach. If he's the Raiders' next head coach, I don't know what I'm going to do with professional football because then both of the teams that I like, I'm not going to be able to watch. I don't know, man. I I think if he is the Raiders' head coach and if Fangio comes with him as the defensive coordinator, um, I don't know, man. I'd rather I, have Bisaccia stay on and do the Gus Bradley Bisaccia thing. Of of course you would. Yeah. Of, of course and I don't think that that's a that. great idea either. Like I was asking myself, is it in the Raiders best long-term interest to win this game right here? If it means that they go on to keep Bisaccia as their head coach. I don't because think they're the, keeping him either way. I mean, the rumors now are that he has a chance to take off the interim tag. If they win at Cincinnati, the case gets win. even stronger. If they win a game. Yeah, 
then I I think the case gets stronger. Yeah. But here's what I, I'll say. I don't think it's a good idea. I even if they win, this this feels kind of like a Tim Tebow Peyton Manning type of situation. Even with Tim Tebow winning a playoff game in dramatic fashion, he got replaced by a legend. Like mm-hmm. if if they want Harbaugh, even if the Raiders win a playoff game, they will replace the interim coach with Harbaugh. You know, and I don't That's think anyone would blame them. Even like Raiders fans, like they wouldn't be like, oh, how could you do him dirty like that? It's like, no, okay, you understand. Like you have the chance to hire a guy who's had a very good record of success in the NFL with a I, really strong defensive coordinator coming along with him. First off, you don't know that Vic Fangio is coming along with him. We don't know that. Sec- we don't know that. But. Second off, second off. This is a man who also has a record of being an absolute cancer everywhere he's been. I don't like. I don't think he's a very good coach. I don't think that he has actually had the track record and success. Like, yeah, yes, you 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 had a couple good seasons with the 49ers there, and then you bounced to the college game. But you were a cancer at Stanford. You were a cancer in San Francisco. You're at Michigan where you're just hailed as a legend so you can get away with anything, including, again, losing to Ohio State a bajillion times in a row. Don't care what they did this year. I don't want want him anywhere near a team that I actually like. That's that's my view on this. I, I would much rather, if you're the Raiders, go out and get Kellen Moore. Like there, there are better candidates than Harbaugh. Okay, I, I like. Okay, I'm gonna push back a little bit. Was he really that much of a cancer at Stanford? Like he could have stayed. He could have stayed there for decades, and they would have been happy with that. So, but like, I, think I you get away with more as a college coach because you can be, you can be more of an a hole at the college level. I believe because okay. at the pros. At the pros, you get the Urban Meyer effect, where like you you're you're coaching a bunch of guys who make more money than you, and they are full grown adults. Whereas in college with kids, like the dynamic is different. It's like I think it was Greg Schiano who would have everybody take a knee in the huddle, and all the players were like, "Really, like we're doing this." It's a different it's a different vibe. I think it's a reason why a lot of the college coaches struggle at the next level, and. Yes, again, he's made a Super Bowl. They should have been blown out in that Super Bowl. Everybody loves to forget that, but they made a Super Bowl. I, I just I don't think the sample size was big enough to actually look at his success. I look much more at what he wasn't able to do at Michigan. The Michigan thing, I think, is its own kind of weird thing. He was yeah. very successful at Stanford. And then Yeah, but he was successful at Stanford because he had one of the best quarterbacks of all time. That's fine. Like he had to recruit him and develop him. Like I, I get what you're saying, but he still had to get that guy there. It's not like luck came in and played right away. Like he red shirted. He did develop. He didn't even leave for the NFL as early as he could have because he wanted to stay and have more time with Harbaugh. So like, uh, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of, of your Harbaugh hatred. Like, okay. His first year in the NFL, he went 13 and three with Alex Smith as his quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next year, 11, four and one and made the super bowl. The next year, 12 and four 
And then in that final year, like when stuff was just going crazy, he still went eight and eight, you know? Uh, I mean, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. I, I don't know. No one shouts from the rooftops for Rex Ryan to get back in the league. Yeah. Cause Rex Ryan never had a record like that. Rex Ryan made do back-to-back AFC championship games with Mark Sanchez as his quarterback and one of the best defenses of all time. What did he do in the other seasons? Like he had it. He had a nine and seven season and then he had a shit season. Rex Ryan is not in the neighborhood of Jim Harbaugh. Like he simply is not. Harbaugh had one more good year. That's it. That that's out of four years in the NFL out of four years. It was just one more good year. And the, and, and the jets in that third season were one game away from making the playoffs. I I cannot believe we're actually having a conversation where you are comparing Jim Harbaugh. My to point Rex is Ryan. that you're overrating Harbaugh, not underrating Ryan. That's what I'm trying to say here. I would say it is very hard to underrate a coach who in the regular season is 44, 19, and one. That's what I will say. Especially when his quarterback is Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. Their division was also quite terrible back then. Like that, that division was AFC South bad at that time. I I should say NFC East bad. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do get what you're saying, but I don't know. It's, I'm just saying, I don't think that he's going to have as much success at the pro level a second time around. Uh, That's all I'm saying here. Okay. Yes. Because he had incredible success the first time. You would just say probabilistically. He's going to be bad. You think he will be bad? I think he will be bad. Define bad. I mean, it depends on the team that he goes to. But I could see, I could see him. Uh, like it's not going to be Urban Meyer. Well, let's level. okay. So you will just as a as sort of a blanket statement, sort of the market adjusting for expectations. Mm-hmm. You would almost blindly take the under on the win total that Vegas sets for him. That's the marker of bad. Yeah, I, I I'd say that. Okay. Like right. you can't really even measure playoff appearances anymore because the NFL is going the way of the NBA and letting everybody in the playoffs now. Mm-hmm. Like this is a this is a joke. Some of the playoff teams that we have this year, mm-hmm. it really is. The Eagles are in the playoffs for crying out loud. All right, as stimulating as this conversation is. All right, um, Mike Zimmer got fired. I feel like that's just uh, the Vikings <laughs> have de- the Vikings have decided to blow it up. They. Probably right. You're a middling team. You're not going to win a Super Bowl with this team. You're also firing the GM who's been there for 16 years. Don't know about that. He's brought in some good players for you, but you're saying we need a clean slate to try and go and actually push to win a Super Bowl. I, I get it. It's a regime change. Let's talk about the real one. Like, do you do you have any input on do you have any input on on the Vikings? Or do you want to go Z- talk the about Zimmer the Zimmer thing? I'll just say quickly, it's interesting. Like, I will be curious to see what happens with Kirk Cousins. Cause like, it's not guaranteed that he's gone. Um, yeah. So especially this year, there's not really a quarterback you're going to go out and replace him with. Right. So it would be just a desire to get him off of the, the roster 
move his contract pure start over um i feel like that would be a little bit weird so i will be curious to see what they do with him and the coaching staff that they bring they bring in knowing that they will probably have to have him as their quarterback so like unless aaron Rodgers decides to go full brett Favre levels levels of pettiness that would be amazing um but uh, he would have to go play for the Jets first for one year. Oh, twist my arm. Twist my arm, Matt. We would have won the Super Bowl that year if his shoulder didn't give out. Probably. Like, I mean, we was, were 7-2 and two and we finished 9-7. and seven. Yeah, it was a good team. It was yeah. a good team. So, anyway, nothing really to say about Zimmer, except, like, he had a good, a good tenure there. It yeah. just ended weird, mm-hmm. you know? So this was a deciding you've hit your ceiling and it's time to move on. And frankly, more teams should do that. Yeah. But the big headline did not see this coming. Yeah. Brian Flores out in Miami. I mean, this they, was they weird. Eight, they won eight of their last nine games. He's probably the first head coach in history to have three above 500 seasons and go two and O against Belichick in his final year and get fired. Did they have three above 500 seasons? Is it two? Did they not no, finish? It was two because that first year, that first oh, yeah. year they were bad. Yeah. They tanked. Um, but it was like an intentional tank. Yeah. Right. Like, like I don't hold that against them. Like that was part of the job of just like turning the roster. Yeah. Turning the roster over, cutting all of the old expensive players, like just going through to see who were the young, cheap guys they could potentially have for the future. And they started playing fairly well in the second half of his first year. Like they were, I don't know, man, they were, they were spicy. His, yeah, his first year, like they, they would cover a lot. They were a little bit like the lions this year. And yeah, you mentioned it. Like he, he was one of those rare, like Belichick assistants who actually was able to go toe to toe with Belichick whenever mm-hmm. they would play each other. Like, I have no idea why they are firing him. It seems so weird. I think part of it is that, like, he has, it seems as if he has legitimate trouble keeping a staff together. Like, I think, I think assistants have to hate working for him because he just cannot keep someone there. Everything, everything that I'm seeing, it's either people saying, why are they firing him? Or people saying, it's because he is having relationship struggles. Like he is struggling to keep like he's apparently hard to work with. Yeah. I I think that has to be it. Like he's he's gone through three, it's really four, four offensive coordinators because this year it was a co-offensive coordinator position, which is whatever, it's a very college thing to do, but um I don't know. It's I still think that Flores did a really good job with yeah. the talent that he was given early on rebuilding the roster. Um, I don't know to a, like maybe they could have brought him along better in, you know, his second and third seasons there as coach. But I don't know. Like, I think, I think Tua is fine. Um, I, I think that he's especially this year shown progress. Apparently there, like some of the rumors are that the relationship between Tua and Flores isn't good. And so, that's part of it. Yeah. Just just some kind of big picture numbers here. So Brian Flores in his his time there in Miami. 
29-19-1 against this spread. And if you take out the first month of the season that he had there in Miami, and like that first month was like total destruction. Um, still really good. Uh, 29-14, uh, sorry, 29-15-1 against the spread. Like, I don't know, man. And great is an underdog. Flores is an underdog. 21, 13, and 1 against the spread. Even better if you take out that first month when he was there and just like turning the roster over. Like, and the Belichick thing. Like, he's actually one of the few coaches who can beat Belichick. I, I would never have fired him after just three years based on what we saw. It's really weird. Yeah, I, I think the Dolphins are choosing a lot of office politics or over the stability of a coach. I, I don't know. It, it's tough to justify that firing there. Joe Judge still has a job. That that blows my mind. Like they even got rid of Gettleman and they're yeah. going to keep Joe Judge. Are you kidding me? How is this team? How can you share a city with the New York football Jets performance art team? And then you decide, you know what? We are going to be more dysfunctional than them. This was, let me tell you, banner, banner week for the New York Jets here. Because yeah. not like first this happens and you're no longer the crappiest team in New York. That is a fact now. Like you can't, you can't deny that anymore. Joe Judge still being there seals that deal. And on top of that, you are also now no longer the biggest embarrassment in football history because the butt fumble is officially replaced by the Indianapolis Colts losing to a 2-14 and 14 Jaguars team whose own fans showed up in clown outfits to protest their team being terrible. Like, that's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in football. I am sorry. You do not get over that. And if you're a Jaguars fan, you now have to wear clown masks to every game because that worked. That's a thing now. But how does Joe Judge still have a job in the NFL right now? You you didn't even fire Gettleman. You let him retire. Like, you cannot tell me the Giants are a serious footballing organization because they are just absolutely not. What on earth? How the best thing that the Giants have produced over the past 10 years post Super Bowl is Kate Mara because she was great in House of Cards. Yeah, uh, I feel all of that is 100% correct. Um, <laughs> you, didn't, also, you, you didn't stick the landing the way that I thought you were going to, but you still stuck the landing. That was a good absolutely landing. wild. You're Kate Mara. Your dad's side of the family are the Maras, and your mom's side of the family are the Roonies. That's absolutely insane. Yes. Um, I, I, I mean, I cannot believe that Joe judge still has a job. He either has to be, um, like they either have to like him for some really weird reason, the way like Jerry Jones really liked Jason Garrett. And you're like, I just kind of don't understand it. Like they Did either Jason Garrett even make it the full season. No, they fired him. No, they fired him in the middle. Of the season. You got to have a scapegoat. Um, yeah. you know, that's what Jason Garrett was good for being a scapegoat for Joe judge. He wasn't good for anything else, but uh, neither is Joe Judge, except for unders. If you want to bet on the Giants, uh, yeah. betting Giants unders, uh, fantastic. But I, I just I can't believe it. Um, I think it's either they really like him or they just don't want to have the embarrassment of firing a head coach 
this you're, soon, but like whatever, you're an embarrassment already. Just yeah, like, yeah. you you ran a quarterback process. sneak on third and nine from your own five yard line in a game when you have three wins. It doesn't get worse than that. You're done. Like you cannot. You should have just because now not only that, but now you're doing the same thing that your Jets just did for the last decade, which is yeah. oh well, we have a head coach, so we're gonna try and marry him with a new GM and see yeah. if that works. All it does is give you another lost year, which yeah. is what they're going to have next year. Clean slate, start over. It's not like Daniel Jones is going to be your guy anyway. Hey, watch it. Watch it. You'll have all those Giants fans coming after you. The um, Giants fans know that I'm right, too. You call up Philly. Trade for Gardner Minshew. He's a better quarterback anyway. Wow. That's uh, that's that's a spicy meatball, Tom. Um, Look, you you go into this season, Minshew should have had a starting job this season. If Daniel Jones was a starting quarterback in the NFL, Minshew was statistically better than him in every way. Does that matter? It does. It does. He was a better quarterback. I mean, he he was a better quarterback, but like, okay, this was Minshew's third year, mm -hmm. right? This was Daniel Jones's third year. I think the difference is that... Um, I don't know. Like you've, I don't know if you've even seen more out of Minshew, but like you've I think you've seen less out of Jones. Yeah, like the the man makes more turnovers than a grandma on Thanksgiving. I just I don't even know how I want to respond to that, so I'm just going to ignore it. Um, I don't know. I think the difference is that, and maybe it's just perception, and it's it's anchored on the draft capital that was or wasn't invested in the two guys but there's this, this perception that Gardner Minshew is like he is basically whatever he seems to be right now and that is probably him at his ceiling and is that good enough to be a low-end starter in the league yes um but Daniel Jones there's the perception that he has this higher ceiling that needs to be developed and so but, like, but, but even then, like, why, why does that even exist? The only, the only reality that gives that, the only thing that gives that perception is the fact that Dave Gettleman liked him enough to take him fourth overall in a draft when everyone laughed at them for doing that. Like Gardner Minshew had a better college career for a better program. Yes, that's true. But like, I don't know, like a lot of people had better college careers than like Josh Allen, like. Daniel Jones should have been a first rounder. He should have gone in like the teens instead of going number four. Um, but yeah, or was it number six? Whatever. It doesn't matter where it was. But anyway, like they, they overdrafted him. Yeah. They should have taken him in the middle of the round. But like that still means he was a first rounder. I mean, I think he sucks. Like it's yeah. not like I want to like stand up uh, and defend him. Like I think he sucks. But I'm just saying like, you're comparing him to Gardner Minshew. I do I genuinely know. believe Minshew's a better quarterback. He he probably is. Like he he probably is. Based on what we've seen out of the two of them so far, I think Minshew is a better quarterback. I still think Daniel Jones might have the higher ceiling. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, we're never gonna know. That's the reality. Both of these guys yeah. are gonna be lost to the sands of time. Yeah. As they probably should be. Let's be Agreed. honest. I, I can't believe Joe Judge still has a job. Um, who else? I feel like there's one more guy that really shouldn't be there anymore. 
I don't know. I guess the big question is what the Raiders are going to do. I mean, I'm just assuming that they will hire a new head coach. I again, I, I think it depends. Like, I, I I am I am considerably worried that they do go on a run and keep Bisaccia because mm-hmm. even if you make like an AFC Championship game this year, which again would be incredible for them to do, I am in no way predicting that for this Raider squad. But no team has more question marks, especially for a playoff team. No team has more question marks going into an offseason than they do. Like, do you keep Derek Carr? Is Derek Carr the answer? Uh, They've been looking significantly better as of late. Now that Darren Waller's back in the lineup, the offense was actually functional. You're still missing that deep threat, but Zay Jones is kind of doing the job. You still, like, you still need another receiver now that Henry Ruggs is gone, but they navigated a lot of turmoil, but I don't know that I, it feels more like the Jaguars making that AFC championship game with Blake Bortles than it does of a team on the rise. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, what I would say with Carr is that like, he is competently professional. Yeah. He's know? not like, Blake Bortles. Yeah. Like it would be, it would be hard to find a quarterback better than him on the market this year. And I think the other thing about him, you look at that team and you, if you listen to the way anyone talks about Derek Carr in that locker room, it's always the same thing. You hear the same thing where they say no one outside of this organization understands what kind of leader he is. Mm -hmm. Like they, they do not say bad things about him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I bet he stays. Yeah. I hope he does. I, I think he's I think he's a decent professional and uh, if he plays his best, he can get into a shootout, especially we saw this year. He was slinging the ball. And if like if they give him an offense, I think that he has a higher ceiling than a Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with them this weekend. Uh mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, six six and a half point underdogs against Cincinnati on the road. Uh, you know, tougher situation, but um, you know, yeah, r- road dogs in the wild card round, they have a habit of covering, not necessarily winning, but covering. So that'll be something yep. to to keep in mind. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk more about all of those games on a future degenerate sports betting show. But for now, Matt, we've covered an awful lot. We've gotten some great spicy takes here today. It's been a great show. I am very excited that I now get to move on from football season and enjoy the Vegas Golden Knights, the only professional sports team I follow with any track record of success. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Am I supposed to say something right there? I thought I, I thought you were know. I thought you were transitioning into the end of it. I was going to transition into the end of it. Um, real quick before we go. Yeah. You don't mind. I just want to say a quick word. Uh, we here in Las Vegas lost a good one yesterday in Brian Blessing. He was, uh, I've had the privilege of working with him a couple times here in Vegas on VSIN. Always a consummate professional. One of the nicest guys that the sports radio industry has ever had. Uh, started out in Buffalo. People, where there was an outpouring of support on Twitter from all the people who knew him, even from back then, even the golden Knights put out a statement about how great he was. Um, if you didn't get a chance to go hear his work, he it's worth looking up. He was a great guy, a great radio guy, and just an all around fantastic human being who will be missed. All right. Well, um, 
know, thoughts and prayers for his family. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to know that at least the, uh, the legacy of sports in Las Vegas is something that's growing. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's, it's a fun town and it's fun to watch the sports continue to build here. But all right, we've got a whole horizon of fresh new sports to look at because football is now winding down. We've got the playoffs coming up though, Matt, where can people find all the work that you're going to be putting out for the NFL playoffs? Well, you're not going to find the fantasy football breakdown on Friday because that's (laughs) not being published anymore. Praise be to the fantasy football gods on Thursday. I will publish a best bets article. Uh, Also think about writing one that just kind of highlights whether I'm actually betting it or not. Like if I were to bet this game, this would be my favorite bet. So just kind of like something that touches on each game uh, on the, the playoff slate. I don't know if I'm going to do fantasy rankings or not. Probably not because like, what's, what's the point? So fantasy rankings, maybe I publish them on Tuesday, but probably not all throughout the week in the FTM bet tracker. You can find my NFL side totals and player props. You can also find in the FTN daily DFS pick tracker, uh, some picks that I will put in there for top prop, maybe some other platforms as well. And then on Twitter, YouTube, your favorite podcast app and on FTN, you can get all of the episodes of the Friedman Fantasy Football Show and the Degenerate Sports Betting Show. And always use the highly original promo code Friedman for 20% off at FTN. All right, that is the show. You can find me and Tommy V on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle and TV at work. Thanks for joining us and see you next episode. Hi, I'm Randy and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. Hey, Randy, what you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bombas socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good, too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. QTW at bro. Shout out to my boy Joe Allen, who's our guest today, guys. Through QTW did the intro music. That's what I'm doing. Oh, yep, yep. Guys, he, he loves the intro music, but besides that, Ariel's Entertainment Podcast, we can go in hard in the paint. AerialENT.com are available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeart. Let's go. Woo! Muscles up. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? Woo! Welcome to another Ariel's Entertainment Podcast. Yeah. We are excited. We are lit. We are happy. We are <laughs> joyful. Can I go on? Guys. Please, got, keep going. Keep right, going. right, guys. Ariel's Entertainment Podcast. I am your host, Ariel. Let's give a huge shout out, huge round of applause. Get on your feet for our guest today, Joe Allen. What's up? What's up? 
Drip squad. Dude, where you at, man? Man, it's so good to be here, Ariel. Thank you, bro. Thank you. About time. Yeah, I know. Been looking forward to it. We scheduled this a few months back. Bro, we scheduled this a few months back. I remember it. we're on a FaceTime call. We were going hard in the page talking about yeah. life, nature. That's right. Like just connecting, man. Yeah. Bro, I can yeah. even I can barely keep my eyes open right now. <laughs> the light's so bright. Call my brother's yeah. son because he shine like one. Woo! Dude, that's how <laughs> that's how much shining you're going right now, bro. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, so good oh to be here. God, Glad yeah. I booked it too, because now now our boy Ariel is booked out. Booked 2022. Out. Yeah, dude, booked out throughout the whole year, <laughs> bro. I just don't working, want... putting in that work, dude. I just want you. I just want to just get you talking right now, but I gotta do the self promo yeah. right now. Get it, get it. ArielEnt.com. Let's go. So we can get my boy talking here, because I just want to catch up with my man here. All right, <laughs> let's go. ArielEnt.com. I'll bring up the link right here, guys. I do it live. Boom. There it is. ArielEnt.com. Check it out. ArielEnt.com. Red t-shirt, white t-shirt, sticker and pen. I sold two t-shirts over the weekend. Killed it. I'm so blessed. So honored. So nice. For all of you guys. Thank you so much. We're selling out. Once they sell out, um, that's it, guys. No, we'll get new merch. and uh, But I'll throw the sticker and pen for free when you buy the t-shirt straight up. Guys, I'm doing my music again. I'm performing everywhere. I do venues, coffee shops. I uh, go play out in the streets. I do it big time. I play at um, uh, farmer's markets. I just set up my set just like my boy Joe. And I just try to just catch up like him right there, baby. Here I am. Get my demos right there. Straight up. Do my music. Book me online. People book me. I come and play on their patios, play in their backyard, play in their like, whatever. So just book me on the music. I come through. All right uh you can book me a photography as well here we go there's my photographer photography i do okay do everything from weddings headshots nice. products all the above uh, i've worked with musicians artists yeah. i gotta put all that in there but right now that's what i do all right i do quinceaneras weddings as well arielent.com check it out it's a great way to support me okay guys thank you so much for following subscribing liking commenting drop all the advice down here of how i can progress um, if you recommend me any guests get on the show, um, just, or if you just want to show some love, like I get so much DMS, I get so much emails and, um, especially on LinkedIn, man, I'm blowing up on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Nice. And Oh my goodness. I, I got like probably 20 messages over 20 messages. I just still need to catch up on man. Look at my hair. Is that, that tells you I need to go get a hair. <laughs> Dude, my mom's man like, is working. Bro. My mom's like, yeah. <laughs> a haircut so i was like all right i will i will so uh well, you do you man <laughs> my mom was like here's some money go get a haircut <laughs> i like that t-shirt bro Did, who designed that Did you design this one it? right here no well yeah the star wars one naturally but the the one on your uh, ariel ent.com the eye and the pyramid thing yeah so that was my okay so i that was like i had a logo like that at first but it was like a cape yeah with money around it i was like all right, right. I, need, I need to i need to level up so we oh the it. lavish cake thing yeah yeah right. yeah yeah when i met you that's what you're wearing or that's what you're going by yeah, so, and yeah yeah so i was like okay i gotta that's not what i'm going by anymore <laughs> so i just went by my name arielent.com so we upgraded the logo this person right. i oh man uh i don't remember her name but i follow her on instagram she's amazing she's the artist 
uh, I met her at um, Meadowlark in Denver doing a show. Nice. And I went, uh, she was, she was performing before me and her guitar was all UFO'd out alien oh, no. slash neon dark, neon light colors that oh, are just glow in the dark. And yeah. Meadowlark is a night venue at night. Right. And so, totally. and so I was like, whoa, that's like, and plus I need, I, was like, <laughs> I need someone that's creative that can do a logo for me because I can't draw. And so I, right. I, I just went yeah. up to her. I was like, hey, uh, I really like your art on your guitar. I, I hope you can do that to my guitar someday. Uh, but right now I'm looking for if someone can do a logo for me real quick. And uh, awesome. what you have designs is kind of like my, like my right up my alley. Let me know what you think. She's like, yeah. yeah, do you have like whatever an idea? I was like, yeah, I'll send you like this. And then you go off whatever. I'll trust you. You go off of it. Show me it. And then yeah. she killed it like the second or third time and that was it man paters and then awesome he dipped out and she went to go on a boat in the ocean oh wow yeah she was here in colorado the next thing i know she's like in the middle of the ocean like on a boat. yeah living life on a boat i'm on a boat yeah <laughs> yeah so i was like okay Epic. shout out hey collaboration so, yeah, that's where yeah, it's that was like a quick yeah dude it was like meant to be for me to like run into her and then like the next few weeks yeah. a couple weeks later i just know that she's gone okay. i'm like whoa it's crazy so yeah man dude, well, yeah, you're inspiring me bro i want to get some shirts out for sure dude you're so awesome man yeah. i gotta bring up the volume right there okay guys another cool. great way to joe thank you so much i'm so happy you're here i can feel Great the vibe that's all you. so i'm trying to do self promo asap so i can just catch up with you right here guys another great way to support me is the youtube let me get up my channel here because it's a great way to support me. ArielENT.com, Ariel's Entertainment Podcast. You can search me under there. Um, I'm on the podcast platforms, social media platforms, ArielENT.com, YouTube. Um, oh, yeah, I got to share the link here. I'm talking to myself pretty much. Here we go, babe. Oh, that's not what I want. Uh, there we go. Uh, there we go. I do it live, dude. I do it so many times that I forget what I'm doing. There <laughs> I am. Guys, we hit 140 subscribers last weekend. Nice. Can't believe it um moving on up moving on up thank god for everything blessing honoring me with all my dreams of wishes coming true and all the supporters best friends listeners watchers everybody just watching guys thank you so much we hit 140 let's try to get it to 150 guys grab the link on any of these videos i do it all i got uh podcasts live concerts shout out to businesses etc etc i'm other podcasts as well just grab a link. You can watch this for weeks, man. Content for days over the weekend, whatever you like. When you're driving, just put me in the background. Grab the link, and then when it says share link, it goes to your messages and share with all those all your friends on your messages, guys. Grab that link, share it to everybody on the phone. It's how we get the word out. Ariel's Entertainment Podcast. Thank you guys so much. What do you think? How we got to 140? I can't believe it. I remember I was at 32. Yeah, <laughs> 32. 42 and then now we're at 140 guys that first hundred is a big deal actually dude yeah. i'm so honored so thank you thank you thank you everybody truly means the world to me like share, i'm one of them baby yeah i yeah man that's how we do we support each other community. i can't remember which number i was but i'm one of them <laughs> uh, yeah yeah dude that's how we do so awesome. guys thank you so much another great way to support me i got the venmo paypal apple cash all the links down below I got all the shout outs right here on the on this note card to give all the shout outs to. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I just reinvest it and I'm gonna reinvest it into the um to the merchandise, guys. That's the next step. Merchandise, yeah. baby. 
And um, you guys help me out with a lot with gasoline. So get me to point A to point B to the venues, to the shows, to the busking, to the studio. And just so blessed and honored, guys. Here's the shout outs. Here we go. Twisted Grape Radio. Thank you so much. Um, Nick Fiore. Thank you so much. Um, Marvelous. Thank you so much. Man, she killed it, guys. Remember, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100, anything goes, $3, $2, it all adds up. So thank you so much. And then we got Carolyn. Thank you so much for the donation, okay? And then our boy, QTW, who does the intro music. He bought a few shirts over the weekend. God nice. bless, bro. You're the man. Thank you so much, dude. I'm going to just come drop it off to you in person because, dude, to be honest, I've never even met the bro. I've never wow. met the Feels bro. Like you guys are family already. So. Dude, huge community <laughs> family, man. I've never met the bro before in my life. And he just comes and kills it. He's like, Dope. love your show, man. Here's an intro. So here's a song I made about you. Hope you like it. I was like, what? Awesome. So I listened to it. I was like, bro, this is going to be my intro music for my podcast. And uh, we're going to do a video together. Because I want to do like a video intro before the podcast starts, you know? Awesome. Instead yeah, of me, like, totally. you know, yeah, instead of me just talking in the beginning, kind of, kind of want just like a real professional video, do the intro. And then once that's done, then you and me just start talking, you know what I mean? Right. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, oh. I'm, 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 that's the goal. I'm going to get my boy, uh, stay tight. I'm and still in talks with the, uh, the guy that's going to shoot the video. Cool. So, yeah, man. Yeah, QT Dub's uh, a good vibe, man. I, I've only connected with him on, him on Instagram, but he's really uh -huh. kind. So, mm. appreciate him. Yeah, of course you had really him on your podcast cool. dude he's really cool yeah. i like him so much dude he travels so much and uh man he's blowing up on the he's blowing up on the youtube man I, nice. i'm yeah yeah so good job qt dub bro so proud of you man and then uh, i think that's it right now guys so thank you so much i know i got uh um i think i that was pretty that that's good that's it right now uh, the last person, Brian Lloyd, thank you so much as well, man. That was like a couple months back, but I still give you a shout out. Thank you so much, Brian Lloyd, for all your support and um, believing in me and uh, buying my t-shirts, bro. All right, here we go. Prayer. And then we get our boy in this. Guys, angel of God, our guardian dear, to whom God love commits us here ever this day and night. Be at our side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Thank you so much, God, for having Joe on the show. Thank you so much, God, for us having this technology to uh, communicate and uh, support each other, help each other, uplift each other. Um, what else? Thank you, God, for our families, our parents, our moms and dads, our grandparents, our sisters and nephews, nieces, everybody in our family. Thank you for our families, our perfect health, and as well, let's see, our, the food we're able to eat, money for the things we need, God, uh, keeping us safe when we travel. And just for all the small blessings, God, and for the things that we don't have, you put in our life. And that's it, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. That's what we do, bro. Guys, yeah. That's what we do. Joe, tell us, man, who Whoa. you are, bro, and uh, where we can follow you. What's up, everybody? Woo! My name is Joe Allen. I'm a musician, yeah. multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, performing Jeez. artist, all that. It's Joe A-L-A-N. So you can find me everywhere online at Joe Allen Music on YouTube, Joe Allen Music, uh, Instagram, Facebook. So that's all J-O-E-A-L-A-N Music. You can find original music. I actually just dropped a record on June 18th. It's on Spotify. Yep. Apple Music, all that. 
And I put it on my uh, YouTube this last Sunday because a lot of folks, that's how you get your music these days. Yep. You know, for those times when you don't have Spotify or whatever, YouTube's got your back. So, bro, YouTube's yeah. the way, dude. If, oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's also, just good. Yeah. What's up? What's up? Oh, also, joeallenmusic.com. So it's Joe Music on everything. But yeah, J O E A L A N music.com. That links to my band camp. So you can buy it there. And uh, yeah. Where else? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Joelle and music on everything, Ariel. <laughs> Bro, are you on the TikTok? I do have a TikTok, actually. I haven't posted there in a second. I was kind of yeah. taking a break from social media. Uh, but then I had but a big show on that. July 4th. I noticed, I noticed that. Yeah, I wanted to keep that up. I was going to take a couple weeks off. But then I, I was like, oh, wait, I have this big show on July 4th. It's called Cherry Days in Paonia this last Sunday. Yeah. So I had to give a shout out for that, you know, but. Yep. Because I'll find myself just like grabbing my phone and just I've, it's like an autopilot to Instagram, even though I don't need to check it. And then I'll just scroll and be like, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes will go by and be like, all right, what was I doing there? You know, like so. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> man. It's cool, though. I do the same thing. And yeah. uh, but you know what it is? I have some like you I, for me, I have like people like you and just like people like you man yeah. you and i and so when i see my feed i'm just so happy and seeing right. you posting and yeah. seeing your art and your so i'm just like like comment and then i'm like so i'm just like that throughout right. so i i the <laughs> I, I got i purged my falls of people yeah. i'm following just so just because of that reason just so like feel you bro i just care about the people i Thanks. care and i'm not gonna you know i don't even know you man i don't know i don't know right. but, but this is what I like. I want to see my feed, the people that I support, that I love seeing and see their creativity, their art, their passion, their purpose. And I'm all about that. So I'm yeah, like, fuck totally. yeah. So the next thing you know, I'm going to hour on that shit. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good thing about it. I mean, it's connecting with your people. Yeah, you know, dog. It's all about balance. You know, I I was putting out so much content on there for a while. And uh, it's cool to have a body of work on there. But also it's like, okay, maybe a friend of mine suggested that I post a little less, like maybe oh. once, once a week rather than like once a day. Hi, I'm Randy and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. And that seems to work better. It's almost like there's a little more interaction now that I post a little less because, you know, it'll pop up when your friends that posted something and haven't posted in like a week. And then you're more likely to see it, I think. Okay. But I'm still figuring out that algorithm stuff for real. <laughs> yeah, man, that algorithm. I think yeah. that algorithm has a secret for all of us, man. I think totally. It just blows me away. Like, oh man, I get it though. I get it, dude. That algorithm, we just got to figure it out. Once we figure it out, we're good, but uh, we'll figure it out, man. Um, dude, I want to give everybody, uh, uh, let everybody know Instagram that's J O E period A L A N period M U S I C Joe Allen Music. Once you're there, check it all out. He's got amazing stuff, and you know, Instagram is awesome like that. So, thank you. And so with that, we do that. And then we hit the YouTube link once you can on Instagram, guys. And once you're there, make sure you hit the subscribe button like your boy did right here. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Here we go. We're up to 167. And I'm grateful for everyone of you. 
gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, which one's your favorite song? Because I kind of want to play it for everybody. Uh, on all those? We'll close uh, it. We'll scroll it. down to the week. Well, actually, that, that reggae one's really good, too. The one that I was just yeah. playing? No, the, the one right above it, Till You Lose It All. Okay. The duvet cover. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, so uh, yeah. we'll close it with that song. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of, I got original songs on my YouTube, also uh, covers. I did, uh, man, the last four months, I was doing nothing but music. And yeah. um, I did a music video every week. So yeah. I built up like 20 something videos. I think I did 20 official music videos. So one every week for 20 weeks. Dang. It was a really cool experience. Uh, it was a lot. You know, I've kind of paired off right now. I'm doing a whole bunch of things. Um, but uh, that was so there's a ton of new content on there for that. That's so, beautiful, but, man. Yeah. It was a cool experience. Like, you you know, when you do, force yourself to do something like every week, you know, you, yeah. you it kind of like it, it forces you to sort of flex your creative muscle and be like, all right, like to find that inspiration. Uh, yeah, it's a thing for sure. <laughs> oh, bro, bro, I'm going to have to start dropping two, yeah. three a week of podcast wow. and and. Yeah. And like, not, like you're doing it. You're killing it, bro. I love it, dude. You're Thank killing you, it. You're, you too, you're, man. You too. You're a one man show. You do all these instruments and plus you do the editing and you do all the producing. I'm just like, oh my gosh, dude. That's so amazing. Incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not doing one a week anymore. It's kind of like right now I'm focusing on songwriting. And I think, you know, no matter what your volume is, it's like, as long as you keep going, you know, you keep making stuff by that's what I'm trying to figure out right now is what direction I want to go with the YouTube channel. And, uh, I think the key right now is that I just keep writing songs and, um, yeah, see where it goes from there. But I respect just the fact that you're putting out so much, bro. That's a lot of work, bro. Listen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, dude. No, <laughs> I, I, dude I, I feel, I feel the, the, the respect in your heart, man. And I just think that, uh whatever you find you're, you you'll just know what you want to do man yeah like you say right now you're doing a lot of songwriting and so yeah. and that's it man that's so cool totally for me um like i was gonna get back because like you gotta build you gotta like you just gonna keep on going for me i was like i don't need to have to start i'm like man i haven't yeah I, like for you you put a lot of content and for me i was like for me i'm just doing dropping one a week and um now I'm gonna have to pick it up. I'm gonna have to pick up two or three now a week. I'm just like, I've never pushed it that far, but it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing to yeah. I'd say follow your heart on that, you know. Like I think one a week's quite a lot. That's pretty good. That's what you, I thought. So you too. can keep focusing on quality, you know, and but you do you, you know, if you want to do more and you've got the flow, Shit. go for it. I found that for me, I was like, um I think there's there was a danger of me burning out. So yeah. I had to kind of step back and assess, you know, like, oh. like what do I want to do with this? You know, like and, uh, I've got a Patreon. I've got seven patrons already. And I, I paused it for July just because I'm not putting out any uh, videos, but I am yeah. still songwriting and doing stuff. So I think I'm going to keep that going regardless of what the content is. Um, just asking my patrons, hey, what do you guys want to see? You know, and mostly they were just like, just keep going, you know, like. So I think it's you'd be surprised the people that support you as long as it's fairly regular i don't think they care so much about it being like two a week or one as much as that they know that you're well and you're still going but it's all very new to me so yeah i can't give you advice on what you're doing because it's kind of totally different but bro 
It's all yeah. good. I love hearing other people's passions and their and their purposes yeah. and, and what you're explaining, man. I love that. That's what I love doing. That's my purpose in life, man. Yeah. I swear, my purpose in life are these things. Get amazing people on my show like yourself and share your purpose or passion to the world, to all my listeners. And then everybody here is going to keep passing it on and keep passing it on. And uh, my second purpose is to play music for people, put a smile on their face, anything. If I put a smile on your face or made you dance or made you move any way or anything, if I made you feel it anyway, my job is done, baby. So those are are my purposes. And so when I make the tips and donations, I'm so grateful and honored. That just makes me like, yeah, totally. my goodness, that's just a sign I'm on the right, on the right path, baby. Yeah. So. Okay. So we for- covered, we covered social medias. <laughs> I guess we're, we're on to how do we know each other? That's, we got some <laughs> questions here, y'all. We got structure. Dude, dude. So yeah, that, that was a rough draft. I was like, I'll send that to you just for a rough draft. Bro. <laughs> I like that though. Yeah, dude. I was like, you know, it's a rough draft just so that we can just go off. This is like, we just can't right, get right. a conversation going, but I wasn't worried about that. I was like, I can talk yeah. to you forever. Bro. We got plenty to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, so tell everybody, like we, we will tell everybody, um, yeah. uh, why, why, why you love your music so much. Yeah. I love it. Cause it's me, you know, it's, it's personal. It's, it's unique to me. And I, I think that that's true of any artist that's doing what they love is, like when I make a song, it's it's very much in the style of Joe Allen. And so like this record, Paonia, that you just pulled up on the YouTube, it's mostly originals. It's a few covers as well. But like when I make a song, I'll take, you know, whether it's a cover or an original, I try to just channel what the song wants, you know, like, you know, and then try to stop there and not add too much. And then I'll subtract the parts that maybe aren't working. But I just love it because it's personal and it's, it uh it makes me feel good and that's the criteria for whether or not it's good and so then the hope is that it makes other people feel good you know so that's what i like about it it's got its own kind of its own vibe you know it's pretty chill it's energized and uh i have a lot of different instruments on there i play you know guitar mandolin violin bass drums shaker what else some other things like this cool flute that i got in uh in wimberley texas and uh but it's Colorado style too, because I'm from here. So I guess it's that. It's like I love the melting pot that I'm able to create from it. You know, it's inspired by, you know, early on rock and now more so like reggae, a little hip hop. There's a Celtic influence in there because I'm an, you know, an Irish American. So yeah, that that kind of stuff. I think that's why I love it. Cause yeah. it's me. Yeah. It's you yeah. gotta love yourself. You gotta love what you do, you know, and that's that's it. <laughs> gotta love yourself, man. A good way to help that I help that helps me out a lot. That helps me a lot. I love myself. I look in the mirror and yeah. I say to myself, "I love you. I love you. Yeah. I love you." Ten times to myself, and I actually even say it more because I think it's so funny. And I start smiling, so I keep saying it more right. and more. So I get tired of it, but I get this urgent rush to feel good inside. I'm like, "All right, time yeah. to go out to the world to throw it out that love, baby." Yeah, you inspire me, bro. You're consistent with that, dude. Get, keep it going, man. Anything totally. you need. Anybody you got to talk to, I'm here for you, okay, man? Just shoot me a DM. Do whatever, bro. Ariel means it to you guys, for real. Yeah, like, no, straight up. We were, we were talking, this was months ago when we when we kind of signed this up, you know, set the date for this. And we yeah. were just 
we were just talking life and it was it was an awesome conversation it was on instagram too i remember yeah bro what is funny is like at the time of dude it was like in february or march and i was like right yo man i was like i'm gonna get i have to get you on my podcast you're like yeah all right i will do just put me on it what day do you want me on i was like all right i'm gonna put yeah. you down for this date this will give you enough time to download right. zoom man it gives you this not <laughs> dude you hit me up yesterday what platform yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then and then today you're like this is the first time i'm using it i'm like it's this funny because the whole pandemic you know everybody was using zoom for everything yeah people are graduating on zoom you know talking to their family oh i know i was just using like facetime on my iphone with most of my friends and family oh my gosh that's funny. and somehow i avoided using zoom until now it's but so i'm honored it's with you <laughs> yeah bro that's legit legit dude tell us uh, who's your favorite artist like who inspired you? I'd say number one is Prince. Um, oh, wow. I didn't find him till later in life. But yeah, Prince is number one yeah. as far as like inspiration and motivation, awesome. uh, b- believing in yourself, um, his songs, his purity of self, you know, I, and there's there's other runners up too, man. I, like Lucky Dube, uh, who's a South African king of reggae. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's not sounds quite familiar. as well known as like your yeah, Bob, Marley, Bob Marley's or whatever, but Lucky Dube just an amazing reggae artist amazing voice i really like devin the dude as well yeah, i know <laughs> yeah i love devin the dude um but i mean there's so many artists it's really hard to pick just one like oh. tori amos really like bro her i would never work. i would have never known you like devin the dude yeah i love devin the dude i'm rolling car not stolen probably never will be as much too old and <laughs> dude i i like it oh man have you heard a song like boo boo in and like yeah <laughs> He's got such a sense of humor, man. I know. Oh, my uh, God. In weed and feeling fine. And my life is 79. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Dude, this new album is fire. Uh, Soulful Distance. I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's really good. Check it out for sure. All it right. came out during the pandemic. Yeah. I'll check the, it. the lead the lead, sing, lead single has got like this really cool, like funk, like kind of funky up down uh, riff and on like a keyboard or whatever. And he's like, uh, I can't wait for the pandemic to end. Open up the gates. <laughs> I'm at it again. Yeah, Devin, the dude, he's awesome, too. He's really I I do feel inspired by that that Houston scene. It's funny because, you know, what I do is so different. But a friend of mine turned me on to like Trapped and Screwed music from uh, Houston. This was years That's ago, but, funny. you know, like DJ Screw, Zero, yeah. uh, Bun B, you know, all that. And of course, Devin the dude, and it's it's just one of those things that's like it was that culture. It's like, all right, I like that, you know, because I don't sip lean or anything. I'm not on that level, but <laughs> <laughs> cannabis for sure. But the lean and all that, not nah. <laughs> dude. That's so I would never guess, bro. Yeah. Guess what? I actually met Devin the dude. What for real? For real, bro. It's awesome, man. Where? Like six, seven years ago, he was at it. I was on the radio. I was just driving. It says, Devin, the dude will be at this dispensary at this time, this time. Please be there early if you want his autograph. You take a picture. I was, like, I was like, what? So I put it I put it in time. I, dude, I was there like an, I was like an hour, hour and a half early. Nice. Showed, dude, he was so cool. He was in like, yeah. he just, he was must have been there early because he just said, fuck it. Just let everybody. Right. Dude, I went in there and just kind of just smuggled my way in because it wasn't really packed yet. And so yeah. I was probably like, smuggling. and then like, there he was, dude, just passing the joints around to everybody. Yeah. I cannot believe it. I'm right here with Devin the dude. This is so dope. So 
yeah, man. So I ended up taking a picture with him and I got a, one of his posters. He was like a, uh, an nice. aviator, uh, like dressed up like a pilot. His poster yeah. was dressed up as a pilot with Ray-Bans. Yeah. Kid. And, uh, and he signed it. And yeah, man, I met Devin the dude, man. That's that so, so cool, cool, man. That's epic. Yep. Yep. <laughs> dude. So, uh, yeah, dude, that's so cool. Great choices as uh, amazing artists yeah. inspire you, bro. That's what I like. Yeah, there's been a lot along the road. I mean, that inspired me. I'm trying to think even who, who like, who was like Andrew Bird. I really like him too. He's an amazing violinist. You know, I'm a fiddler. I'm a pretty good fiddler, but he's, he's like a master violinist and stuff. And uh, yeah, there's been any, so many along the way, man. Any acoustic artists catch your attention, like John Mayer or James Blunt or Jason Mraz or. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely John Mayer and uh, Jason Mraz early on. Um, who did I like back in the day too? Who's the guy with the banana pancake song? Um, Dashboard Confessional. No, but oh, Jack Johnson. Oh, Jack Johnson. Yeah. 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 And there's oh man, there's some other great. Well, if you go to my YouTube, y'all, you'll see like the cover songs I choose are they're pretty intentional. Like they're artists that I like. Um, one of them is Richard Thompson. He's a really great singer songwriter from Scotland. Okay. He's fantastic. I got a song in there called 1952 Vincent Black Lightning. But yeah, he's a killer singer-songwriter. That was inspirational as well. It's funny when you're on the spot, it's hard to remember like all the... You know, <laughs> that's what's best. People love that, dude. That's raw, <laughs> that's real, man. It's what we love. Dude, so right. tell us, uh, yeah. what have you learned so far from your music journey, man? Wow, yeah. You know, I actually started it 2007s when I made my first little record. It was called A Cup of Joe Allen. <laughs> and, yeah i had this show in uh yeah totally a cup of joe and yeah. it's coffee themed i'm a big coffee guy or have been anyway yeah my life. i worked in the specialty coffee industry for like seven years and Shit. but this was back in 2007 had my first paid show in avon colorado at a place called loaded joe's actually it was cool i got to be on the radio before that in edwards and uh at the time i was going to mesa state college I only went there for a year but what i learned from the experience in college was that I wanted to be a musician, you know, and I was, I was kind of wasting my money going to school because I didn't, even, I wasn't even a very good student, but. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the name your price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Randy. What you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bombas socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good, too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. So, yeah, I started playing gigs. I ended up in Paonia, which is in western Colorado. If y'all know uh, Colorado, it's like right now Ariel's in Denver. You know, if Colorado's a square, you know, he's like on the eastern range, you know, and if you cross the Rocky Mountains, you get to where I am right now, which Whoa. is California. And then further, you get to like Grand Junction and yep. make your way to Utah. But I came to Peonia, this little mountain town, and so many people just supported me. I played at this little brewery. It used to be called Revolution Brewing. 
and we created a venue there. I went with the owners and we picked up a PA system and I hosted open mics there. And uh, actually one time this, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but Joe Cocker, the artist, he was like friends with the Beatles and all this. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. He was a pretty big, he was a kind of a big deal in the rock world. Wow. He played at, uh, uh, what's that big? Uh, yeah. Back in the day, you know, Jimi Hendrix played there in uh, New York. Woodstock. Woodstock. Thank you. Um, yeah. Joe Cocker played at the first Woodstock, but I met him at my open mic there actually. Because his, uh, yeah, his godson, Nico, and uh, this girl, Jade, who used to be in Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros, um, they played there at my open mic. So I got to meet Joe Cocker, which was cool. But yeah, what have I learned over the years playing so many shows? It's like a lot about how to, I mean, just kind of straight stay true to your music and do it for the right reasons. Um, and musically, I've grown a lot, you know, so that I can play like guitar and violin and stuff and not have to think about it so much. So I can sing and kind of let let go and just let the song flow through. But yeah, I think it's the biggest thing I've probably learned is just uh, to do it for you. You know what I mean? Like, because when I started, I think I had these ideas of like, man, I want to be a rock star. Or I want to be rich or I want to be famous or da, da, da. And over the years, like now all I want to do is I just want to keep going. I just want to make music that makes me happy, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's beautiful. That's a big one, especially, I mean, one of the other questions kind of on the same ven venue you were kind of asking is like, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting in music, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think what I would say is like, do it for you. You know, if you're, if you love this, you know, this music thing, this gift you've been given, just do it for you, you know, do it for the love of doing it, you know, don't do it for anyone else. And that's especially true of your songwriting, right? Cause like, you want to write from your perspective, like kind of earlier when you asked me, why do I love my music? I love it because it's me, you know, and uh, I write songs that they feel, they have to feel true to me. Like right now I'm writing this song and it uses the cliche, what goes around comes around. And I've got the first verse and um, I, I, a couple of days, I keep going back to my guitar and trying to write the song, but it hasn't come out. So I have to wait till the moment it wants to flow through, you know, I can't force it. Mm -hmm. It's like, when you feel inspired just like that's the moment and i guess another advice would be like keep your phone handy and record those little voice memos and name the voice memo you know don't let it just be sound recording 200 you know like put a little name on it something that'll remind you uh so you check it later on because like you never know when the inspiration is going to flow and it's something that you can't force it's good to sit down with the intention like hey i'm gonna write a song right now but you know if the, if it's not the moment then it's not the moment then again, if it's the moment, then it's going to flow. So be open to that. Yeah. Wow, man, that explains that. Because sometimes I'm like all about learning. Do you, do you write songs, Ariel? I do. I do. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I think I'd have heard covers from you. Yeah, I've heard, I do. I do tons of covers. And yeah, mm -hmm. I got about like 10 original songs. Great, man. And when I go perform, I, I usually play like four or five of them, usually like my four favorite mm -hmm. four or five of them. And the rest of them are just like chill out songs. I usually don't play them. But yeah, I got about 10 songs. Uh, I did a demo, so I don't forget them. And so, yeah, uh, totally. but I've only dropped like three of out of those 10 songs. Yeah. I've only dropped three out of those 10 songs. And so, uh, yeah, man. Um, right, but yeah. I... I for me when i go perform um i love to do my originals and then i like to throw in the covers in there because yeah it gets the people it gets the for me i love when i 
for me, I'll play my stuff, but it, it makes me even happier when people are vibing, people are yeah. singing, people are like, that's, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm so happy I learned this cover song because now after this, everybody's in a great mood. I could just drop totally. an original song to do that real quick, yeah. you know? And uh, that's what I like to do. I usually like to start up with a, with a cover and then yeah. go and get everybody pumped up. Be like, yeah, what's up? That's what's up. Right. And drop an original. But that's just, a, that's, not, that's what I like to do. Everybody has their own way, yeah. but. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Covers are a good idea to get people singing, you know, something that they know. I yeah. think when I met you, it was an it was at an open mic uh -huh. at Goose Town, right? Uh the Goose Town Tavern. I don't know if they, do they still do open mics there? They picked it back up. They did great. Yeah, that was a great open mic. Actually, I really like that. This is while I was still living in Denver, you guys. So I've been in uh western Colorado like a year and a half now. I've been back to home yeah. basically. But yeah, I think you sang like a Backstreet Boys song, I want to say. And I was like, yeah, nice choice, you know, because I hadn't heard one of those in a minute, you know. <laughs> Dude, that's actually one of my yeah. top requests. Really? Awesome. It is. When I go out perform busking or something, they'll be like, do you know any Backstreet Boys or any insects? Nice. like, boom, let's go. That's awesome. Yeah, man. One of the top requests. Bro. <laughs> Dude, so tell me... Um, what are some of your favorite hobbies you like to do besides music? Awesome. Yeah. Man, I love cooking. Honestly, I love cooking. I love uh, like making meals for myself and gardening as well. Um, I've been working on a farm here, work trade, like for organic food, you know, so like every week I get a box of organic food that I can cook with. It's epic, bro. Like it just feels so good to eat real food yep. that makes you yep. feel energized, you 100%. know? Yeah, and um, reading books. Big fan of books. Nice, man. Yeah, I just read that, this book. You're getting That's that fresh air. You're getting that yeah. sun. You're reading, can, man. You're eating organic. A lot of things I like to do. Come on, man. I love my bicycle too, bro. That that should have been the first thing I said, really, because ever since I was little, like a bike has just made me feel free. It's been a little hot to ride lately, but uh, that maybe that's just an excuse. But I got this sweet like 1980s Univega. It's, it, I think it was meant to be a mountain bike before they really had mountain bikes, you know, um, but I've got these big white wall tires on it. So it can go like on the highway, it can go on the streets in the town. It can go a little, so I like to take my bike out. That's a big thing too. That's what's up, dude. Like bike yeah. riding, you got a bike, mountain bike. Yeah. It's kind of like a mountain bike, like I said, but it's, it doesn't have shocks or anything. So I think I'd have to buy a whole setup to do the whole mountain bike trails thing, but that's, but that's for down the line. I just like riding down into town because I'm I'm right outside of town and I'll ride down to Peonia and you still ride you still ride to I'll be like yo and like still ride to this day you still ride to this day oh of course man that's as much as I can that's yeah, what's up dude something that brings me to life for sure that's what's up man and you know like I like games too I actually what kind of games like, like video games yeah video games and board games but uh. My friend Kelsey and I, we were doing a, like when the pandemic had just started, we were trying to do a game night every week. So we'd meet up at my place and play some like games on Steam or whatever. It's like what we really like are like the split screen, like co-op games, you know? Yeah, like what do you mean? You can do, uh, Nintendo 64? Well, more like on a computer with controllers. Oh. Like we'll use like uh, PlayStation 4 controllers, but on a computer because they're compatible with Windows or Mac, you know? We and, do. Uh, yeah, I just I like games that are co-op that you can play with friends and we can yeah. play them wirelessly too over the internet. And so yeah. Kind of old school. I do I used to love like Goldeneye and yep. stuff like that on the 64. Bro, I was <laughs> I got Rose, man. 
I like odd job. I was odd job, bro. Everybody be like, that's cheap. Cause he was the shortest one, you know, and it's like, so it'd be harder to hit him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dude. It's even extra Roll hard. Dude, it was even extra hard because you would, yeah. you get, to kneel, you, get, you can kneel with him. So you're like triple small. Mm -hmm. So you're like, yeah. <laughs> and then you got the golden, yeah. then put on the golden, the golden gun and you're just, Oh yeah. Invincible. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of your viewers will probably know what we're talking about. If you don't oh know about GoldenEye, then uh, it was like, it was a big deal back then because the N64, you know, it was all about party games. You know, the PlayStation was more like single players, like, you know, World games, yeah, see, yeah. yeah. Playing games, your Final Fantasies and things, but yeah. the N64 is all about the party games, you know, yep. Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, the, yeah, the GoldenEye. Yep. It was yeah, crazy. The wrestling games, the wrestling night, games they, it was like, the, I guess they implemented multiplayer at the very end of development. So GoldenEye was going to be a single player game. And then one of the, the, one of the development uh, team members was like, he implemented multiplayer like at the last minute. And it ended up being like the biggest thing. Like everybody was playing that game in like the college dorms and things back in the day. Oh yeah. Which was a little before our time, but we still got that multiplayer experience. Bro. I was playing but, it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> non-stop loved yeah. it man i loved it my dad group made us a tree house and um i was playing out there all the time that game in the tree house dope yeah we had, epic, cable. yeah we had cable and all that up there also next time i go to town wow. next time i go visit my parents i'll send you a picture on dm of our epic. tree house. Dope. Cool. Is, Bro, is that in denver too no my parents live four hours away they live almost by okay. nebraska oh wow yeah yeah man they live in the east yo yeah yeah Dude, so uh, I know you're a busy guy and, uh, you know, I'm going to I know you got a lot of uh, amazing organic food that I would like to try, man. That sounds really good, you, bro. Dude, um, tell us, um, what is the secret to life? The secret to life. Wow, that's a big question. Got to ruminate on that one. Yeah, the secret to life, I guess, is choosing to live, right? You know? to choose to be alive every day every day is so different it's wild i think it's yeah first of all it's like to choose because every day is a choice you know to say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna live today you know not just go through the motions and like it's connecting with your people too isn't it i mean like because that's kind of what brings you alive you can i mean i keep my own counsel in a lot of ways like i I know that my, my happiness and everything is, is a choice, you know, it comes from within. It's like, you're like that. You're constantly choosing to be happy and put that out there. Um, and sometimes you need a friend, you need, need someone to bounce that off of, you know, a family member to, to believe in you, you know? So I think it's connecting with other humans too, because none of us lives in a vacuum. You know, I think the hardest times in my life were when I was kind of self-isolating mm. when you didn't, when you didn't feel worthy of love or whatever it might be. So I think it's, yeah, one of those secrets of life is like uh, to choose to love yourself, you know, to choose to be like, hey, I'm worthy, you know, like no matter what you've been through, because we've all been through shit, you know, that'll dim your shine. But we're all trying to get back to that point that we were at before life kind of knocked us down, you know. So I think it's like choosing to love yourself, you know, choosing to find the blessing in all of the experiences, because we're like, dude. So this is pretty new stuff for me, and there's so many resources for it. But at that farm I'm working at, this this, uh, this lady Lynn, 
she's super wise, man. She's a, definitely a master of mindset as far as like, uh, you know, choosing to inform your body and your cells and your experience with your mind. Cause like, like depression and anxiety, these are things that I've struggled with in my life. And it's like, depression is a choice just as much as being happy is, you know, your, your mind is creating it. And, uh, this is new stuff that she's telling me. One of the people she likes is like, uh, Joe Dispenza and he's using talk about these things, right? He's like, so when you think a negative thought, it, it releases chemicals into your brain. Yeah. And in turn, that in, informs your body how to feel. Word. And so like, I forget exactly what they're called. Um, but it say a negative thought will release 1400 of these chemicals. Right. Word. And so it'll build momentum towards, ah, uh, you know, way. But a uh, positive thought will release 1,200, right? So this doesn't add up, right? It's kind of like a, kind of a sad reality of life is that the negative thoughts, they are a little, they build a little more momentum more easily. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to be extra vigilant and uh, we have to think five to one. That's what that 1,200 to 1,400 means. The ratio basically is five to one is your ratio, right? Um, five positive thoughts for every negative thought to build positive momentum. Wow. Yeah. So wow. it's like, we got to work at it. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not just not, like, Oh, I just thought a negative thought. I better think of a positive one. Like, no, you need five now, you know, <laughs> to get back. on track. <laughs> so maybe that's a secret too, is realizing you have to overwhelm the negative with positive, which is something that you're a master at Ariel. You know, you're always lifting that up, which I imagine you probably catch some flack for sometimes in the world, you know, cause we're in our society. We're so, like programmed to kind of commiserate you know to kind of share our misery with each other you know they say misery loves company i think because it's easier the negative stuff is easier um but ultimately like that's not that's not life that's like uh it's kind of the opposite isn't it it's like so being intentional continuing to feed your body and your mind that five to one on a daily minute to minute basis that's one of those oh, secrets i think i want to always I share that with your audience because that I was went, blowing my mind yeah, I want to. I want to always use that example, bro. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing totally. that. So, dude, is that is that 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 must mean that means that you're happy, huh? Yeah, I would say I I saw that question on our you know something we were to talk about. I'm content, you know. I'm grateful for my life. Yeah, and I'm I do I choose to be happy, you know, because again, I don't think happy is something that you are or you aren't. I think it's something that you choose. Like in this moment, I do feel happy, Ariel. You know, like I feel yeah, really absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And like, maybe I'll wake up in the morning and I'll feel totally different and I'll have to overcome those feelings and be like, choose to feel happy. And like you said, you look in the mirror is like, I love you. You know, you're amazing. I love you. You know, yeah, like a mantra. Um, so, yeah, I do feel happy in this moment. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> right out. Dude, I want to try all my give a try out yeah. all my listeners right now. When yeah. you brush your teeth, just tell yourself how much you, I just say, I love yeah. you. I love you. I love you. And then you're going to have just, it's just watch the feeling. You Even that cheesy feeling you're going to get when you're doing it. That's the feeling. That's that love. So that's yeah. that fearness. So try it oh. out guys. Truly, truly. Yeah. Bro. And if anybody's going through a tough time right now, what would you say? Just keep going. You know, like it's okay. It's okay that you're feeling this way. Right. It is. You're, you're not alone. You know, it's all right to feel those feelings just know that you're choosing to feel the way you're feeling and you get to choose to feel a different way. It might take time, but it's, it's all a choice. Cause like I've been through tough times, even recently, you know, um, and I know that life is constantly going to 
give you contrast so that you can see what you want. And uh, I would say keep going and like keep focusing on what it is that you want. Cause even if you can't feel it or see it right now, it's there for you. And it's like the universe actually wants you to succeed. It actually, it really wants good things for you. That's why you came here for this experience. You know, you chose this experience right now. You even chose the struggle you're in right now or, or, or the The choices you made, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We're creating it all. So I'd say, remember how powerful you are too, that you're, you literally do have the power to create the life you have because each and every one of us, like we're all responsible for our life, the good at the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I'd say it's okay to be feeling the way you're feeling. Just know that it will pass, you know, and um, things will get easier as you build that momentum. You just got to remember that you're creating it and you got to give that five to one um, because yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. these negative feelings, these negative thoughts, it, it, it's a constant process. You know, life is kind of like a battle in that way, but you get to choose what to focus on. You know, Ariel lifted me up. This was like maybe a month ago or something. I was kind of, I was sort of feeling burnt out on the whole social media thing. I was like, why am I even doing this shit? You know, something like that, some kind of post. I was just being honest. And Ariel's like, keep going, bro. You know, you got to stay positive. Cause when you're in this moment, like if you're watching this right now and you are going through a tough time, it's kind of the last thing you want to hear, right? Someone's like, hey, stay positive. You're like, yeah, fuck you, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, it's, it's real. It's like, like whatever you got to do to find that good feeling, you know, as long as it's not hurting you or someone else, you know, like just to know that it's okay to, to feel that and that it will get better. So keep going. Cause you know, like you'll have somebody like Ariel in your life that'll encourage you you know, like be open to other people encouraging you and stuff. And uh, yeah, because this life thing ain't easy. It's a trip, bro, man. I don't have proof. words for it. You're living yeah. proof, bro. Really. Of just like, yeah. of like just accepting love and just, you know, you can't control yeah. everything and just, you just work with what you got, man. Right. Be grateful for what we have and need, man. Gratitude and, is key. Yes. Thank you. That's, that's another that's big yeah. one. Mm-hmm. That's another five to one ratio. That that's what helps me out the most. Yeah, I mean, you're super grateful. Just being grateful. Like there's so like right now, like yeah. dude, check out what we all have. I have a screen, a computer, talking to you. Right. Just all this amazing yeah. technology, bro. We're just so grateful, bro, and honored. The resources we have, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, dude, yeah, that's that's huge, man. Like sometimes it's hard to see, you know. I uh, but. <laughs> This is like, this is recent before I started working on this farm, you know, I was kind of, I was struggling a little bit financially to make everything work. Cause I have sort of a, a bit of a fledgling creative business, kind of like you, you know, sort of been doing it for a while, but also you sort of feel like you're just starting as you're gaining new income revenue streams, you know, and, uh, I wasn't eating very well. I was hungry. And it's when you're not eating well, it's really hard to think at all or even do anything. Right. Um, and which is why I was so grateful to be blessed with this opportunity to work and get good food you know um but it's like it's so key to be grateful because like that's science too because that that attitude of gratitude it is a vibration thing and it opens up the door for more because the universe is picking up on all your thoughts and and feelings and it doesn't it doesn't pick up on words and things because when you say man i really don't like this da 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 it doesn't pick up on that all it hears is the da 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 you know like you know if you say i want this but this you know you're offering contradicting yeah. vibrations yeah. So 
So if you're focusing on what you want and what feels good, even if it's not there yet, if you can focus on it, you will get there. Focus what you need. Yeah. Focus what you need, man. So for yeah, dude, focus what you need. So for instance, uh, right now I got to go get groceries after our podcast tonight. Thank you, God, for the amazing food I'm about to go to the store with. Thank you, God, for all the fruit that that's going to be there. Thank you, God, for the cheap deals I'm going to be able to get. Thank you, God, for all like all the shelves are going to be stocked with food. Thank you, God, for me to get there to the store safely. Dude, I say it five right. times, bro. Say yeah. whatever you do. The more you say that, dude, the more I go to the store, I'm always right. getting all the, the things I need, man. Yeah. So much, dude, I think that's so awesome that you realize. Like, yeah, yeah and no matter what you guys believe, like, um, you know, Ariel say God. Some people say source. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a million yeah. names for it. Oh, but never, like, yeah. I heard this, I heard this, I think it was a Buddhist teacher or something. It was, it was on a meme, honestly. <laughs> like, but it was, if the only prayer you say in your whole lifetime is thank you, it's enough. You know, it's just like being thankful, just like, thank you. It's a feeling too. It's not just words. It's like, thank you. Like, thank you that I have, I have clean water. You know, I met an indigenous grandmother this is cool. Actually, I didn't even tell this story, but in 2014, I got to go to Australia, bro. And uh, with my, my ex-girlfriend, we were, a, we were a musical group. It was Issa and Joel, and, and we went to this Uplift Festival in Australia. And I met these amazing people, like just change makers from around the world. But there was this, there was this group of indigenous grandmothers from uh, North Dakota and other parts of America. And they were doing this tour. Um, it was these seven grandmothers. And what one of them said, she said, talk to your water, you know, when yeah. you from the tap or when you're filling a jug of water, like talk to it and be thankful for it. Cause your vibration will go into the water. Cause we're made of water, you know, yeah. like yeah. that's a big one. I'm constantly thinking about water and like being grateful for it. Cause no water, no life, like period. <laughs> Dude, that's what I say before I eat. Thank you God for this amazing food. Thank yeah, you God for my girl and totally. I this amazing food together. Thank you God yeah. for this amazing salad. Thank you God for this amazing yeah. burpee I'm able to drink. Even though it's not healthy for me, but it, it feels it, it's hey, but the inv- the vibration though too, you see. Oh, I'm like, dude, I I'm trying to quit soda. So mm-hmm. just like having one Slurpee one a week, I'm I feel just, you. Oh my god. Sugar is a hard one. <laughs> oh, it is, it is. No, you came and killed it. You kicked ass. Thank you so much for coming on the show, bro. Appreciate I you. Can't wait to post this out to the universe, to the <laughs> architect, to the to the matrix, whatever anybody calls it, the simulation. I'm gonna You're awesome, bro. It. Appreciate People you. Pick it up and it's gonna be amazing, bro. So Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening, y'all. If it's on audio or YouTube, wherever you're getting this. I'm going to do one one more. Thanks for listening to Ariel's podcast. Ariel's Entertainment Podcast, baby. Joe, I'm going to give a shout out to your quick quick credentials real quick. And then we're going to close out with your song. So I'm going to do that real quick here. Let me bring up your credentials. Here we go. Boom. And then here we do it live, baby. We do it live. Boom. There it is. There it is, guys. Uh, YouTube, all spelled together. That's J O E A L A N M U S I C. Joe Allen Music. That's the YouTube. And then on the Instagram, that's J O E period A L A N period M U S I C. Joe Allen Music on the it's Follow me. Graham. Woo! I answer my DMs. Send me a message. Let me know. He sure does. He sure does. Joe, thank you so much. Ariel's Entertainment Podcast, ArielENT.com. Instagram, ArielENTPOD. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. And all the merch, guys, ArielENT.com. And then as well, I do music, photography, book me, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It truly awesome. means the world to me, guys. The donations, the PayPal, the PayPal, the PayPal, Venmo, <laughs> Apple Cash. All the links are right here, guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Guys, we're going to close it off here to my awesome. boy here. 
and it's Thank gonna you be so much. Here. Yeah. Stay up, y'all. This is it. Give it right? that five to one. This is it right here, right? Yep. All right, yep. guys. This is it. Uh, Joe, if you want to talk background to this video, cool. you're more than welcome to. We're gonna close it out to here, right. and thanks everybody. Uh, you can jump well. off whenever you want, man. Much love. Uh, we're gonna keep uh, connecting, man, and let's just keep spreading love and positivity. Hit me up if awesome. you ever need anything. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. You well. You too, man. Love you, love you, love you. Let's close it, guys. DJ, drop the track. Shout out to Star Wars. Joe, he, know, he knows what's up. Oh, yeah. Here Haven't seen that shirt. Let's see. Now, there's no, a shirt I've not seen in a long, long time. Um, I wonder if it's on your, on your picture right here. Oh, no, you switched your picture. It was, oh, was your... Uh, uh, oh, was the your Jedi female. picture. I, yeah, picture. I switched it up. All right, guys, here we go. I had a Obi-Wan Kenobi costume. Yeah, on. you did. You did. Yep. And it looked exactly like... That's why I was like, I don't yeah, want yeah. the Star Wars shirt. <laughs> here we go. That's filmed in Maui, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Make sure you get my new album, y'all. Peonia. P-A-O-N-I-A. It's everywhere. Yeah, man. Shout out whatever you need. Promote whatever you need. <laughs> you like a crazy man in here. <laughs> ah, man, you're just loving life to the fullest. What was this shot one more time? Oh, it's in Maui, Hawaii. Wow. Yeah, I got to go there. Never been there. It was epic, bro. I would love to go back. I bet. I bet. Traveling is traveling is amazing. Hawaii is phenomenal. Beautiful, man. Best beaches for sure. Yeah. Dude, I, I got to swim with turtles. Epic. Beautiful, man. Nature. That's Lucky Dubay right there. Rest in power. Woo! Rest in power. This is, this is his song. Speaking of water, you never miss your water till your well runs dry. So, thanks and praises all the time, y'all. <laughs> Be grateful. Yeah. Uh. I had so much fun making this, man. I recorded it all myself and all that. <laughs> it was a blast. See the palm trees and the breeze. I know, man. Yeah. Shout out to Carrie. Look at that. For having me there. Yeah. I want to shout out all my good friends. Risa and Brittany in Denver. Love you guys. Kelsey Dysart. Pro Smash. Everybody on my Patreon page. Thank you so much. Craig, that's Cassie, that's Emma, my sister, Krug Smash, Kelsey, Jesse, and Dr. Dave No. Appreciate y'all. <laughs>